0: everybody and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And it's been
1: a month. It has been a while. Yes.
0: It's, well, what is today as of today of recording today? It is August 3rd. Right. Our last one was July 6th. So it's right, been So that's a month. Just under a month there. Yeah. And uh, a lot happy of August. Uh, uh, yeah all right happy uh in los angeles terms happy beginning of summer really because we've got three more months of heat <laughs> yeah although, <laughs> it'll
1: be november before it gets cool although july has been hotter than it yeah we, the yeah really
0: yeah that's that that's that's true but it's just it, it's just uh it's always a bummer to me to remember and it's i've been out here 12 years yeah. and it has taken me until now to remember every year that it's not going to be cool in october like it's still gonna be hot in october yes. it will be cool in november
1: uh and even it, then it's yeah <laughs> Nove- november is a transitional month
0: yeah and then december and then uh january and february it will rain although it's been raining in the valley lately
1: yeah i uh i was actually down in beverly hills when it rained really hard the other day and i just it, got a couple of sprinkles it
0: didn't rain in beverly hills at all yeah uh or yeah i guess a, a couple of sprinkles but yeah it, it's been uh i wonder sometimes i wonder if people who live in the basin even
1: know that it rained in the valley like two days in a row sometimes i wonder if they even know there is a valley (laughs) um that's true so Uh, we got um, a lot of stuff to get to
0: yeah and you're gonna start i should start by acknowledging the elephant in the room which is that i am super stuffed up yeah uh it is i don't know if it's a lot of times if there is a sudden change in temperature to keep our weather talk going yeah i will have an allergic reaction for some reason and it did starting earlier this week uh just get super hot all of a sudden like it was cooling off right where we had yeah. i would wake up in the morning it'd be like 65 67 in the morning nice morning temperatures uh now by the time i wake up it's already almost 80 um and so it suddenly got super hot uh and i don't know if that's why i had an allergic reaction but i'm incredibly
1: stuffed up other than that i'm doing fine well you keep at it and uh and i keep seeing bad movies this week but that's okay and that, that you're allergic to bad movies at this point, is that it?
0: <laughs> That's true. So. You'd think I'd have built up a tolerance by now. <laughs> All, right, All
1: right, you start. Okay, so. What have you seen? I saw, it's, it's going to be weird talking about some of these things, how it's been a while since I saw yeah, them. Yeah, I saw Kyle Patrick Alvarez's The Stanford Prison Experiment. Okay. Um, starring uh, Billy Crudup. Um, who I'm developing uh, an impression of, by the way, Uh, but it is not a verbal impression. It is, it is, uh, it's, here, I'll see if I can do it here for you. Uh, Listeners, there's going to be a brief moment of silence. It's just like... (laughs) Okay, okay. He's starting to say something, and he lifts his head up to say it, often a little bit smugly, and then thinks better of of uh, of it for a moment, tucks his chin in, smiles to himself, and then proceeds. Um, it's it's very odd. I
0: like this very specific impression that I think I've done for you. And like this is one of those things, like your Billy Crudup thing, I would mm-hmm. have to have just watched a Billy Crudup movie sure. to get it. And this one I think is that, but I have a, Brad, a Bradley Whitford impression. I don't know if I've done this oh, wow, before. Oh, wow, okay. And it goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just sort of yeah. sharpen, take a breath, and kind of arching your back a little bit. Yeah, it's... Um, and then, of course, my favorite very simple impression is uh, Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter discovering a clue.
1: Hang on. <laughs> uh, I, would do, I would do a Hermione impression, but I don't want to strain my eyebrows. Um, <laughs> Jen's Hermione, especially when uh, Emma Watson is younger, uh, is quite uh, delightful. We'll, uh, when we leave today, we'll ask her to do it. Um, okay. Okay, so Stanford Prison Experiment is, first off, it's hard to screw that story up. Like, all you gotta do is be a, just stick to it, uh-huh. and you're good. But you all, it also requires uh, full-on commitment by your actors. And... Billy, you know Billy Crudup is is essentially the the lead, but it's very much about the the younger the the kids, and uh, Ezra Miller, uh, an actor that I, it's not that I didn't pay much attention to him. I thought it was great, and we need to talk about Kevin, um, and I never saw Perks of Being a Wallflower, but. Uh, but I did see Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Like, he's a guy that I associate with a certain dourness, um, which is why the idea of him playing The Flash was interesting to me. But uh, but in this, he plays a very specific type of, you know, 1960s college student. And his character has an interesting arc. And then Michael Angarano, I don't know if that's how you say his name. You yeah. know who I'm talking about, right? The kid from Almost Famous. Um, okay. Like the young Patrick Fugit. Okay. But he's
0: been in stuff more recently uh, oh, when sure. he's a uh, sure. grown-up. Well, why do I know I know the name from something else?
1: Uh, why don't you keep talking y- okay, about Okay, yeah, uh, feel free to look him up and then let me know uh, if I've gotten his last name wrong.
0: Um, no, I think so, you're, I mean, in terms of, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sure, it could be sure. a, sh- a, soft, uh, a soft G. Sure, like sure. Like Joe Manganiello, right? right?
1: Or is that Joe Manganiello? I don't know. Who's to say? Um, I guess yeah. him, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, his performance requires something because one of these kids had just seen Cool Hand Luke and he decided that's who he was going to be as a guard. He was going to okay. be uh what is it Struther Martin is that the guy's name? And so he adopts uh a southern accent when he himself does not have one and he comes up with very creative punishments. And he does it with, and it it all comes about in the first few hours. That's one of the things that fascinates me: is that the experiment was supposed to be two weeks, and after a day, or maybe two, mm-hmm. it is people are going literally insane. Um, so it's fascinating, and I think it is it, the film is directed with a very clinical eye, but one that is still sensitive to what the to what the characters are going for uh, going through. And like I said, it's an interesting story and one that. Yeah, it probably would be more effective as a documentary, especially because they have a lot of that original footage. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily put you in the mind of the people that are going through this and the confusion of why is this person acting this way? And by the way, why am I acting this way? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And and I liked it actually quite a bit. It's on Netflix. And uh, so you can check it out there. Uh,
0: I realized why I know who Michael Angarano is, and this is not what you know him from, but he was a recurring character as a boy. He was a recurring character on Will and Grace, where Jack, um, Sean Hayes' character, Jack, found out that he had, uh, uh, you know, fathered uh, a son, Mm. you know, um, despite being a gay man. He'd had his uh, dalliances apparently in the past. He had fathered a son um, and was, uh, and, and, Elliot was the son's name. Michael and Grandma played Elliot became a part of Jack's life uh, as a, you know, nine or 10 year old or something. Um,
1: yeah. Okay. Good to know. I'm um, a huge Will and Grace fan. I'm not sure if people know that. I don't remember if you have uh, said, uh, it's been 10 years. I'm sure you've said it at some point.
0: Yeah, but it is, uh, it's not on as much as it used to be. It feels like, like logo used to show reruns all mm-hmm. the time. Um, or maybe Bravo. I get them confused cause they both, cater to largely uh gay or gay friendly audiences right. um used to show reruns all the time uh, and it is kind of like comfort food to me okay it's another show i like i hate to keep doing this because i did this with how i met your mother recently but it's another show better than friends people need to get over friends yeah. i don't think friends is that great i would rather watch will and grace or how i met your mother any day
1: yeah and uh what i've seen of will and grace um uh, i'm sure it's i'm sure it's fine uh i think just and this is i don't blame anybody else but me i just don't think i have much of a stomach for standard sitcoms yeah it's been yeah Um, that's that's good before but uh okay so Um, next up for me okay i saw edgar wright's baby driver okay which i enjoyed a lot i'm with you on it being my least favorite of his films but Please don't take that listeners as me saying it is a bad movie. It is delightful and it is very exciting and fun and it shows it allowed him to to kind of explore his range as a as a director and you realize that his instincts you know, he brought it's for years. He's been bringing action instincts into comedy, and now he's bringing certain comedy instincts into action. Mm-hmm. And it just feels fresh and alive. And I really enjoyed it. I thought the entire cast was was fun. Uh, you know, uh, I so I saw it with friend of the show Jason Eakin, and he and I expressed before going to see it. We actually expressed. Uh, general frustration with Kevin Spacey as an actor which is at this point we kind of know what to expect from him and he knows when he's got a juicy role and he will play it to the hilt which mm-hmm. sometimes can take you out of it but with this because all of these characters are posturing so much uh, it's okay and right. I like a lot of what he does and there's a moment that I love it's, it's a brilliant moment on a, le- on a number of levels where he is explaining to uh I think Jamie Fox he's explaining to him the whole deal with baby like you know he lost his his hearing and that kind of thing as he's like drawing on a chalkboard and then after he's done it's revealed that he's been drawing a map of what the heist is going to be mm-hmm. and he's like he goes he said, I just drew a whole map while we were talking about that. I think that's pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> and it undercuts the exposition, uh-huh. which I think was br- uh, brilliant. And it gives him a nice moment. And uh, at one point, he meant he, uh, Monsters, Inc. comes into play. Yeah. And I think that's well well played. Jamie Foxx, as you, as you mentioned, and as everybody else rightfully mentions, um, is, uh, I forget how charismatic he can be and how he can be even when he's a person that i just detest right yeah um and the big thing my my big takeaway and i think i said this when you saw it uh having not seen it myself that everything about it seems a little bit elmore leonard ish and now that i've seen it no question about it like jamie fox's character is right out of an elmore novel, right um and there has to be a certain the Characters are colorful in a very specific way, and they interact with each other in a very specific way. And I just really, uh, I like it a lot. It is not, it does not have, I think, it's interesting that he, though this film is very clever and very funny, it is not, I would say, a comedy first. His other movies are. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting that when he gets away from comedy, that's when I find his film a bit more shallow. Uh, I feel like his other films are much more weighty than than this one. But I still enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: I I wonder if the other like uh with his other films he either had Simon Pegg as a co writer Sure. or he had source material to work from in, in Scott Pilgrim. Sure. Maybe maybe this is the uh this is the 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 revelation that Edgar Wright is simply pretty good at being a screenwriter. Sure. He's not as great
1: yeah. as his other films uh I- I- implied. He remains a brilliant filmmaker <laughs> yeah. but he needs someone who's beyond pretty good if not occasionally great as a <laughs> as a collaborator yeah. for him to continue batting a, a, a thousand
0: okay. all right uh, that's two for you yep let me do one of these i saw it now i this is forever ago now yeah it feels like but i talked about wanting to do a don bluth profile yeah and it is because i watched rock-a-doodle a movie that came out when I was a kid <laughs> that I didn't see because I had no interest in seeing it. Of course. Because not. there's no reason that an eleven year old or whatever would be interested in in the early nineties an animated reimagining of Elvis movies with Glenn Campbell voicing a singing rooster mm. that's and the movie's also a mix of animation and live action. That I didn't know. Uh it's it's really, really bad. It's just so stupid. Um, and it's so it's so dull and it also is like I watched you know the whole thing is like when I say the movie is like 75 minutes long, I want you to know how long the credit roll is. Okay. The movie itself is probably about 66 minutes long. Oh, wow. Um, and then it has a very long credit roll. I think, I feel like they slowed it down just to like, yeah, we need to cross the 70 minute mark. Um, uh, like there's some sort of obligation they had to f- fulfill. Like, uh, like, you know, like, uh, padding your essay, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: the margins are like <laughs> super wide, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I just watched the whole movie going, I don't understand. Although uh, I, the the villain is voiced by Christopher Plummer, oh, and right. he's clearly having a blast. Of course, uh, he's he's really uh, really going for going for broke, uh, and that's that's fun. But yeah, there's no reason to watch Rockadoodle Doodle except
1: as a curio. There was a time in Christopher Plummer's career when he was playing villains pretty much every time. And it's right around there. Yeah. Star Trek six dragnet rock doodle, apparently. Um, yeah. And I, I don't remember the last time. Oh, and then he was wonderful in Nicholas Nickleby, but that was a few years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we should do a profile on Don Bluth. Like, you know, people our age grew up watching his cartoons, although neither of us felt any inclination to see rock doodle. Um, no, but, but yeah,
0: like I, I I do want to talk about Don Bluth because I feel like there was a there were, you could do it like in comparison to the Disney movies that were come out at yeah. the same time, because as much as Don Bluth stuff can be hit or miss, there's less of a formula to his stuff. Yeah. His stuff is weirder. Yeah. Um, darker, often darker, darker. Especially, yeah. And I hadn't like um you know, I, I hadn't thought about it since I was a kid, but like I loved All Dogs Go to Heaven, but it's about dogs dying. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's very sad. And there are but images of uh, dogs not going to heaven incidentally. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never saw the sequel. Uh, nor All did Dogs I. Go to Heaven 2. Yeah.
0: Nor did I see any episodes of the All Dogs Go to Heaven animated series. Uh, which there was, I remember. Everything had an animated series at the I time. Guess that's there was a true. New Kids on the Block animated series. There was Bill that's and Ted's uh, Animated Adventures. That's True. Um, RoboCop had an animated
1: series. I do remember that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Everything did. There was Batman the animated sure. series. Come on. Sure. <laughs> uh, so okay, Rock Doodle. Not good. No. What's
0: what's what are your next two?
1: Okay. So next up for me is John Watts Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, here it's good. It is very good. It has uh, a so-so third act, and it has a climactic battle that I... F- I didn't see it in the best theater, so it was like, this looks a little muddy to me. I can't totally mm-hmm. make out what's happening. I assumed it was my theater. Uh, ta- I talked to other people. They said much the same thing. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, but there's a lot of good in it. Um, Tom Holland certainly makes a good a a very good Peter Parker but I also like a lot of this beats they give him to play he is notably young he looks young he reads young um and you know often when you have uh, a a younger character unless it's going to be a movie like Margaret or something like that you often uh, they often have very adult type tendencies because it's an adult writing it um and so with this Peter Parker's mistakes are the kinds of mistakes that a 15-year-old would make. Mm-hmm. His the way the things that he learns are things that yeah, this is probably about the age that you learn it. Um and I thought that was great. I r- was really interested to the point where we as adults and probably anybody watching it but as adults we watch and are like, "Oh, you you stupid kid." <laughs> you know. Um and so I like that. It really It shook things up a little bit for me within the MCU, which is so predictable, but changing the nature and, in fact, experience level of the main character Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. Um, I I think Michael Keaton did a a really great job as the villain. He probably needed one or two more solid scenes, but the thing that I really liked is that... uh, This might be spoiler, but I I don't think so. Um, His plan is very small. It's very it's very localized, you know. He has no desire. Yeah, he has no desire to blow things up. He is stealing things and selling it for money, you know, like villains do. Villains often did in comic books, and it's it's fine if you want to up the stakes and that kind of thing. uh, Fantastic, because
0: I've I've been saying for the past couple years that not every superhero superhero movie needs to be about literally saving the world. Yeah,
1: it can be about like. And you know, what's interesting is that one could, okay, one could look at Michael Keaton's actions and say that, okay, nobody is officially getting hurt. He's stealing weapons and he's selling them. So of course someone somewhere is going to get hurt, but he's not hurting anybody. And this is not a public thing, but it is nonetheless illegal. And Spider-Man or rather Peter Parker stumbles upon it and then realizes This is illegal and no one else knows about it, so I guess it's up to me. And so it's just this really interesting... It's the kind of thing that you don't find in most comic book movies, DC or Marvel, this idea that essentially the superhero is on patrol and Mm -hmm. finds something wrong and decides, well, I guess it's up to me. And... So it's, it was very refreshing in that way. And so I think you would like it. It's, it's very funny in many ways as well. I need to see it. So, um, okay. So that's, I have another one to talk about, right? Yep. Okay. This is, okay. So I saw a film directed by Jody Lambert called Brave New Jersey, um, which very small release. Uh, I was
0: just reading about it today, but I can't remember what it's about. It's got Tony
1: Hale and, uh, Mel Rodriguez is in it as well, along with uh, several others. It's a, it's an interesting movie. One could say it's a pleasant enough film. Um, it, uh, it is about this small town in New Jersey, uh, the night of the war of the world's broadcast. Okay. And so this city is, let's see, what is it? It's not Grover's mill. I think that's. That's our town, right? I think that's Grover's Corners. Uh, Grover's Corners. Okay. Uh, I don't know which town. In they land uh, the Orson Welles landed the aliens in New, New Jersey. Is it Newbridge, New Jersey? It's Newbridge. That's the one. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so this is a town that's you know only ten, twenty miles away, and so they're particularly panicked. And it's about just. Their response to that, to the direct threat, but also their response to their lives and this thing, this feeling of "oh my gosh, what have I been spending my my time on" and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there is some good stuff in there, but I do think that it's a little bit condescending towards people that you know, towards people in a small town and. I know that New Jersey isn't officially flyover territory, but as far as how this film approaches these people, it might be might as well be right because it's New York's backyard. There you go, there you go. Um, But when it is working, I think it is a a very pleasant little film uh, that is occasionally amusing, and uh, I think I'd say I was happy I saw it. But I think that there is a lot more. There is a lot of untapped potential in the in the premise.
0: Okay, uh, I watched a movie, and this will, this will tell you why I have fewer movies than you do okay. this time, because I watched Marcel Ophel's The Sorrow and the Pity, which is four hours and 15 minutes long. That'll do it. So that counts for two or three movies, I think. Um, I've been meaning to see this movie since I was like in high school and saw Annie Hall, right? Because isn't that right. the movie they go to see? Yeah. When, is that, that's what he's waiting outside of when he pulls... Uh, um, I think so. Uh, well, I, I'm forgetting his name. It's not Malcolm McLaren. It's... Right. The other guy.
1: Anyway, Marshall McCune. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan. McClune.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, I always think Malcolm McLaren who's the, he was the it's Malcolm uh, McDowell. Uh, Malcolm McLaren was this Bengali of the sex pistols. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I watched the sorrow and the pity and, uh, man, it's something. First off, I'll say if you have Sundance now, which is what I have, uh, through like I have a subscription to Sundance now through my Amazon Prime subscription, so mm-hmm. I, I pay a little bit on top. Uh, and you watch the Star on the Pity. Beware that the two parts are mislabeled, and you have to watch them out of order because uh, huh. I started what said part one, and luckily it starts off with part two. Like that's okay. the first thing it says, so I immediately realized like this is a problem. Where you're like, uh,
1: oh, hell on guard. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I had friends in, in high school uh, or no, in college, I recommended the movie incident of Loch Ness to them mm-hmm. and they'd just gotten a new, uh, DVD player and they watched the entire movie in black and white, not really because the <laughs> DVD player was like, it was like in the wrong input or whatever. And they just thought this movie I'd recommend it was in black and white. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, the sorrow and the pity man. So I don't know if you know what it's specifically about. It's a World War two documentary or it's a post. It's made in the late sixties, uh, 1969. And it's, it's specifically about the occupation of France. Okay. And even more specifically, it sort of tells the story of the occupation of France, mostly sticking to one small city. Okay. Um, it, it branches out and, and, you know, tells the whole story, but it's, it's, it, that's the lens through which it tells the entire thing. Um, and I, uh, you know, I definitely, by the end, I definitely realized why it's, so long. It really builds, uh, and, and it, especially like in the early going, there are so many, you know, like uh, there are so many talking heads that are being interviewed, and I kept forgetting, like, was this person part of the resistance? Was this person, like, mm, mm. you know, part of the Vichy? Like, I, I, I kept forgetting. You know, we would return to someone and I'd be like, "Wait, I can't remember who he was or who she was again." Um, but that's okay because it comes together over time, and you start to start to see it. It. Build and I, I think um, the the real great effect of it is is that it it puts you in the heads of a person living in France at the time in a lot of ways, um, except in ways that it doesn't. Except in ways that it like the movie, uh, you know, and uh, Marcello Fools, and, and, and like. Recognizes that the people who are answering these questions twenty five years after the fact mm-hmm. are maybe revising their history a little bit, like maybe like sure. um, making themselves look better or or like pretending to have been more sure of themselves at the time than they were, and they've even convinced themselves that they are. Like, but the movie's very aware of of that. It's mm-hmm. not you know it's, it's not turning a blind eye to the fact that this is there's twenty five years of history that's affecting how people. But in terms of the way it's structured, it sort of puts you in the head in terms of. At the time, you're seeing, like, here's what was happening, like, here's who was in charge of the Vichy government, here's how different people felt about it. But as, as far as the terrible things that were happening, mm. both things that were happening to the resistance by the Germans of the Vichy government, uh, the occupation government, like the ways that they were, you know, denied rights and tortured and killed and everything— and the terrible things that the resistance did to the collaborators once the occupation had fallen, and the uh, and, and the on ter- both sides there were atrocities committed, mm-hmm. and so much of that doesn't even come out until the last like forty five minutes or so. Hmm. It, you know, it, it, like, um, and it it it's it's shocking and it's devastating, and the movie like it lulls you in that's very academic. A lot of ways, you know, you're hearing people talk and is giving you these long, like sort of, uh, here's who this person was and what they did. And I still forgot it (laughs) by the next time. But, um, uh, it, it feels like it's this, I mean, it's very engrossing the entire time, but it feels very academic. And then suddenly to me, at least this is my experience. The last like 45 minutes or so of the movie suddenly becomes very angry. Yeah. Um, and very shocking because you're hearing people, uh, um, describe like there's one guy who's being interviewed like at a, it's a group of people and the one guy is talking about what the Germans did to his wife. They killed his his wife and he's describing it and as he's going, he's like he almost like shuts off and just goes into describing what happened to his wife and I don't want to say it on the podcast because it's, yeah. it's terrible to the point where like you hear, he's in a room with other people who are being interviewed at the same time and you hear people off screen go like, oh! Like, oh. almost like stop like don't yeah. say this you know it's yeah. too awful um and he just gets through it and then almost like w- like opens his eyes at the end of saying what happened yeah. and like is uh is shocked over you you see this emotion come over his face um and it ended up being that like after 4 hours and 15 minutes it ended up being an incredibly emotional uh experience um and um uh it is as much a document of the awful things that happened to france as much as it is an an interrogation of how france handled those things and how it views its history now and how how much of the population were collaborators and marcel affols doesn't want to let them off the hook and mm. does want it not, not in the terms of none particularly vindictive terms, but just in the sense of like, we as a country need to reckon with this. yeah uh, We can't sweep this under the rug, which you feel like a lot of people want to. yeah um, And so like, there's one, there's, there's a really fascinating interview with this one woman where he's, and it comes late in the movie and he's, he's sort of interrogating her, but you know, she was, generally considered herself apolitical, but went along with the Vichy government with the, with the collaborators. And he starts off very sympathetic to the way that she and her family were shunned, uh, once the occupation was over. But over the course of the interview, he sort of turns on like, you know, you were aware of what was happening. Right. How did you, why did you go along with this? Why did you support this? You know, and you know, is it possible for you to have been apolitical as you, um, sort of innocently try to proclaim that you are it's yeah. uh, it's really really fascinating stuff uh it's on yeah. it's on amazon if you have the sundance now uh uh what do you call it uh, edition whatever yeah. um extension uh but you got to watch them out of order
1: unless they fix that by now wow that sounds pretty <laughs> intense yeah um I feel bad going into my next movie We need it. We need a break now. The Lego Batman movie directed by Chris (laughs) McKay, uh, which I had heard, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Lego movie. I like it, and I I laugh, and I think it's pretty good, but so many people treat it as like this amazing thing, and I thought it was very good. Well, I think Um, that's,
0: sorry to interrupt real quick, but I think it's with with Lord and Miller, it seems like they, at that point, had like a, they were three for three with taking like cloudy, the chance meatballs, 21 jump street and Lego movie, taking things that sounded like dumb studio, like cash in projects and making something unique and, and distinct out of them.
1: That is true. Yes. Um, you know, I'm sure many of us assume that the Lego movie would be what the emoji movie turned out to be. I say turned out like nobody guessed it. Um,
0: and also neither of us saw it. Right. We're just yeah based Based on reputation.
1: uh, Yeah. um, and uh, but I think but I did like I think I like the Lego Batman movie more I think because it's a bit more focused um, but it still exists in that manic universe uh, as far as the, the comedy um, I think the the voice acting is is really great I have a hard time because there are moments you know where the character's like learning something and it's a sincere thing and I was like you are not even a Batman movie, <laughs> nor are you even a Lego movie. You are the Lego Batman movie. How do you have the audacity to learn something? And yet, some, and yet it, it is organic and it's earned and it feels sincere. Uh, and I think the, uh, like I said, voice at Will Arnett is very good. I really enjoy. Did you see it? I forget. I did not see okay. it. No. I really enjoy um, Michael Sarah as a very, adorable robin um who nonetheless i still would enjoy watching get hurt uh, he's like that type of character um, like butters <laughs> you know um, and is jenny slade
0: also back as uh is unikitty uh, not that
1: i'm not okay. that i recall
0: because they're making a unikitty series i okay. learned at comic-con okay i think
1: the character might have made a cameo but i don't actually okay. know a lot of characters show up in that uh in that film but um but yeah and and they do an uh kind of a neat and silly thing where lego's lego's way to get around licensing is astonishing to me because the joker decides that he's going to He's going to go to, like, this... Uh, I forget what it's called. It's, like, the... Oh... It's, like, where Superman keeps his villains. Like, when they when he arrests them, it puts them in, like, the... There's a word for it. Okay. I can't remember. But, anyway, it's this place where, like, all the worst villains go. And so, Citadel? No. No? No, you're thinking of that Irish horror movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <a>, there's <laughs> only <laughs> so many villains in that one. Uh, but, yeah, and so joker decides he's going to release all of these villains which includes valdemort's and lord sauron yeah. and uh the wicked witch of the west and like all of these things and it just is fascinating and king kong although they clearly did not have the rights to godzilla um but okay. they wanted to evoke godzilla um so it's just uh i enjoy that because when i was a kid i used to i had this thought of what if every single horror thing were real um and just like how could you survive when every uh, and i essentially it was a way for me to think of okay what in horror movies have they not done and i feel like they've done most things at this point like okay well even sleep does not provide a relief Mm -hmm. now uh because of freddy krueger but um but yeah so i um I enjoy I enjoy the film and I enjoy all the stuff that it incorporates while still having a coherent story. Um, okay, next is a rewatch. I believe yes, I rewatched Mike Judge's Idiocracy. Uh, people have been uh, for the last several months uh, been talking about why. <laughs> I know it's um, talking about the relevance of this film, and I hadn't seen it in a while. And while all of us, uh, all, all the movie people I know, including me, are quick to say, yeah, the sci-fi is not really there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But, and I feel like, I honestly feel like the satire could probably go even further. Um, but as it is, there is uh, I appreciate what all the actors are doing. Dax Shepard, maybe especially. Like, he is not winking at all which one is i I only saw once and i honestly didn't like it very much yeah it's there's uh, essentially he is um he's the luke wilson's buddy in the future but it starts out that luke wilson like gets out of his cryopod or whatever Mm -hmm. and it and lands in the middle of dax shepard's living room as he's like watching tv and as luke wilson he's just like what is going on here and dax shepard because he's watching tv he's like shut up And he just keeps telling, like, it's just like, the thing that I feel like, okay, this is going to sound mean because you can't help but say this, but I feel like with a certain lack of intelligence comes, I find it's often paired with aggression. Mm -hmm. And that is something I don't think I realized when I first saw it. And I haven't seen it in a very long time, but the the degree to which these characters when they are frustrated by what Luke Wilson is saying that they do not understand they meet it with aggression uh and dismissal and that is something that i thought maybe i did notice it before but it does seem more relevant now yeah um and uh yeah like i said it's it's not necessarily as far as satire goes, I feel like it could go further. I feel like it's willing to settle for things here and there, but there's, there's some good jokes that I'm sure you remember. There's the one where, uh, the number one movie is simply called ass Mm -hmm. and it's just a guy's ass and it's farting and stuff. Uh, and it says the film won eight Academy awards, including best screenplay. (laughs) And that the little touch of screenplay is stuff that I, is something that I like, but, um, but yeah, I was happy that I saw it. And I do think it's something that, uh that I think is a bit relevant but at the same time I'm not 100% sure what we do with it. I feel like the good the best satire is something that you watch and you think like okay now what can I do? And with Idiocracy, I don't I don't feel that way.
0: Yeah, cuz it's it's what I always had a problem with. It's mean-spirited and elitist. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, and uh it kind of it's kind
1: of a turnoff to me. And it kind of I think there is the possibility that it uh that maybe unconsciously you feel like I'm laughing at this and thus surely I'm not a part of it
0: right (laughs) right I mean how could
1: I be if I'm laughing right yeah so yeah I definitely think there's a a, an element there all right my turn yeah
0: um in keeping with the comedy uh uh trend here I saw Malcolm D Lee's girls trip and uh I'm glad that I'm not in in the minority here it's awesome it's so much fun okay. it's a i'm glad that it's a hit i'm glad that people who have seen it um seem to like it it does seem like the type of movie being a, a broad comedy that is um you know aimed at a specific demographic you know you know on top it's a broad comedy to begin with and then it also has the feelings of like this movie was made for the black audience you know sure it does make me worried that people who listen to this podcast <laughs> might not, not that they're dismissal dismissal dismissive of it, but that, uh, it might not be on their radar. Sure. Um, and I'm saying you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not going to see, uh, girls trip. Um, it's, it's a delight. Definitely see it in the theater on a Friday or Saturday night when it's packed, yeah. uh, or, or at least, you know, it's been a few weeks when it was at least partially full because you'll want to laugh along with a, with a crowd, um, to this, and uh, uh, yeah, just Malcolm Lee, uh, he made Undercover Brother, which is, I think, uh, also oh, a yeah. super funny movie. And then he made both the and soon all three of the best man movies, um, which are well, well received. I never saw yeah. any of them. Did you see? I did not see. OK. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, this guy, he he knows just sort of he, he Malcolm Lee as a director just knows timing and pacing and cadence and he's got a really game cast here um uh especially i mean yeah jada pinkett smith and regina hall are great queen latifah i think through no fault of of her own is that's the sort of the least interesting character in the movie yeah um and then tiffany haddish is the breakout uh star and i hope like i don't want to belabor the hangover comparisons because this is like you could say like oh this is the hangover for black ladies right, right? um i don't want to blame those comparisons but if girls trip does for tiffany haddish what the hangover did for zach alifianakis i'll be very happy because she's unbelievable She very much like zach alifianakis yeah. she wasn't on most people's radar she wasn't really on my radar because i've kind of fallen out of like comedy nerdness my wife knew who she was because of her right. podcast um uh but um um or maybe she was on a podcast. I can't remember. My knew who she was. But much like Zach Galifianakis did in the hangover, she sort of comes out of nowhere to steal every scene that she's in. And mm. it's it's fantastic. Um
1: so yeah, I definitely highly recommend seeing Girls Trip. All right. Uh next up for me is a film that I actually just write uh, just wrote a review of, and you can find that at Battleshipretention.com. It's called Columbus. Very excited to see this movie. Directed by Koganada. Yeah. One word. Yeah. Not thrilled with that, but that's all right. When your well, name is Koganata, I feel like it's all right. No one's going to get you mixed up <laughs> to anyone else. Um, he,
0: this guy has a reputation for making video essays. Mm, He's done some for Criterion, just general online. This is his first feature. I believe it. It was at Sundance this year. I didn't see it. I. It was on my short list of things I, that I wanted to see. But
1: I'll say this, and I'm sure this has happened with you as well. As I was, r- the more I. The, the deeper I got into my review the more I realized like I love this movie oh good um, it is people have made comparisons to Richard Linklater um, I make a comparison to Lost in Translation but I do think that it is still kind of it, it's a very it's still a very original piece because of the characters that are involved and it is beautifully shot and it's it's about these two uh, characters who are just kind of meet by happenstance in Columbus, Indiana, which is an odd sort of mecca for architecture, which I didn't know. I was
0: reading about that today. I, j- I just learned that today, yeah. yeah.
1: when I saw Columbus, I assumed like, oh, uh, Ohio, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know there was a Columbus, Indiana. But, um, but it, they go from one architectural landmark to the next, and it gives you, and so it's, it's you know, everything is shot in a very symmetrical way, um, and it feels a little bit cold, but it, it also uh, kind of mirrors the inner life of these characters who are, have been very careful their whole lives. And uh, it features John Cho, um, and I'd say a rare dramatic performance by him, and I think he definitely... Uh, definitely could go on to be a a solid leading man. And I know that he's been the lead in, in like, you know, a co-lead in like Harold and Kumar and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see if this it's not like the movie's gonna be a big hit or anything like that, mm-hmm. but uh I hope that certain people see it and and give him more opportunities to play like dramatic characters. Um and then Haley Lou Richardson, who I was mostly unfamiliar with.
0: I'm very familiar with her, and okay. she needs to break out because oh, I've always thought she was wonderful fantastic. performance. She um I first saw her in a movie called the young Kieslowski that has nothing to do with Christophe Kieslowski that played at LA film fest and never really got a release. Um, it's a decent movie. Uh, but she was also in, um, the bronze, which is a terrible movie, but she was good in that. And then she was in, uh, edge of 17 last year, which she's great in that, but Haley Steinfeld, you know, and, and Woody Harrelson sort of walked away with the movie. um, so I, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I think Hillary Lou Richardson hopefully has a great career ahead of her because she's terrific.
1: Yeah, as I was watching, I thought like, okay, there's there are obvious ways to play this character and ways that just not to imply that the character is obvious on paper, but it's just like okay, there's a tear jerking element to this character, and I'll just play that and problem solved, and it'll write it and it, you know work itself out, and it probably still would have been effective, but she she chooses instead to undercut certain emotional things that I think uh make sense for who the character is. Um and then uh good supporting performances by Parker Posey and Rory Culkin. And oh, where's he been? I don't know. Here, I guess. He's been in Columbus. <laughs> been Columbus, Indiana. Um so it's uh yeah, it really is it's it's kind of a hypnotic film at times and and You know, it's it's gotten a limited release, but if if it's in your... Listeners, if it's in your city, seek it out. I think you'll like it. Uh, Another one, right, for me? Yep. Okay. Next up for me is a rewatch again, and it is David Fincher's Zodiac. I was in the mood to watch that. Uh, Because, as it turns out, I might always be in the mood to watch that. It's very much the type of movie I like. I like investigation. I like people trying to, you know, parse through uh, little details and that kind of thing. And... You know, I can't I feel like I can't say anything about it that I haven't said or that other people haven't said already, except that it's just such a thorough ensemble um, and so wonderfully cast. And it creates, as you mentioned, when you you talk about when you first saw it, that uh, it made you feel a little bit paranoid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I watched (laughs) it. This was what I did. So, you know, my okay. so I was I was in the old place. Jen was out of town, uh-huh. and I decided to watch Zodiac at 1 a.m.
0: Means it, meaning it took you till about 3.30 yes. a.m. to
1: watch the whole thing, right? And I was watching it uh, partially in my office. And so you remember the layout of my old place. In order to get from my office to the bedroom, you have to pass by that stairway. Uh-huh. When, and when the lights are off, it just drops to darkness. Uh-huh. And... As I was walking by, I had this moment, it's like, "What if?" And I'm not—I wasn't thinking in terms of the Zodiac killer, but it's like, "What if somebody just walked in?" Like, "What if somebody just walked out of the darkness of the stairwell, was just walking up the stairs?" And it got me—it it got me thinking of that one of the early scenes where it's just this in in the film, this young couple. It's broad daylight, mm. and then up walks this figure in all black, mm. hooded. And it's just so matter of fact. That's the scene. That is
0: scary as hell. That's the scene when I think about, because it's a very rewatchable movie, but whenever I think about rewatching it, I think about that scene and I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the mood. Like, that's a rough scene. Yeah.
1: Part of me is like, maybe I'll skip that scene. No. That is not the film watcher you are. You have to watch all of it. Uh, But yeah. And so I just had this thought of like, it's, it's, it's evil in the midst of a fairly banal situation, and one that anybody could find themselves in. It's just, what if my wife and I were just out, not even in a super secluded area, and someone just walked up and pulled a gun or a mm-hmm. knife, and they were committed to killing us? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, and and the film just gets me thinking about the darker side of humanity. Have we done
0: we've done um, like over well over five hundred episodes, and I feel like at some point we did uh, uh, something about movies that aren't necessarily horror movies but that use horror
1: did I mean, we do I that i don't know if we've ever done that officially okay we should do that we talked about the difference between horror and suspense okay but that's not exactly the same yeah because i don't think i think i don't think of zodiac as a horror movie but yeah. it has scenes that are horror absolutely um okay so and that is also on netflix so if you have not seen zodiac please watch it it's amazing
0: Uh, All right. Oh, you did too. Okay, so I'm up. Um, I I saw, uh, in keeping with my uh, big release, uh, you know, major studio releases, I saw David Leitch's or Leitch's Atomic Blonde. Okay. And uh, unlike um, some
1: poor souls i really liked it <laughs> um, were there people that didn't like it yeah, I, haven't, I haven't really been following the reviews uh yeah i was actually
0: i was on the uh the out now podcast uh with our friends our friends aaron and abe and they had uh, uh our friend terrence also was a guest and right. aaron and terrence both weren't really in weren't really into the the movie and hmm. though it's uh it's a bummer to me because i i really liked it it's uh um uh, I was talking with our friend in front of the show, Scott and I, and I said, it's, it's like if Nicholas Vinding Refn made a John Wick movie and Scott was like, well, the John Wick movies are already kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, John Wick has too much emotion. Ah. This is a movie that is like almost anti emotional for most of it. Okay. Uh, because I think it's sort of like um, expressionistic in the sense that's what the character is. Okay. Uh, and so it's very, Rich and lush and production designed Six Ways from Sunday. Um but the the for most of the time, Lorraine, uh Stan's character, remains completely cool. It's a cucumber. Yeah. Uh where she doesn't, and this is what I like about it, and this another John Wick type thing, is the fight scenes um actually take a toll. In one case, like so like so much so that like there's one you might've heard about it. It's the centerpiece fight scene. It apparently is uh, a single take. Not really. It looks like a single take. Right. I didn't notice because I never noticed that. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, the only time I ever, I ever noticed it is when I don't like it. And that was like in atonement, which I d- yeah. didn't like, um, so I didn't notice uh, that it's a single t- quote unquote single take. I'm sure there's eight hidden, hidden cuts because there's also no way that Charlie there could physically have done this all in one take. Right. Um, but like by the end of that fight it's like the, t- she and the guy she's fighting can barely even stand up under their own power, much yeah. less land a blow on one another. Um, and it's fascinating. uh, it's it, another reason people I feel like I'm just defending it because i've uh, I'm so disheartened by people who didn't like it another, another reason that people don't like it is that the it's wall to wall eighties music cues and some mm-hmm. of them I guess people feel like a little on the nose in sure. terms of like uh ninety nine loof balloons is in there and uh, yeah. uh, um multiple versions of blue Monday by new order uh I don't care uh they're the good songs. I'm okay if you playing. The, I'm okay with you playing the hits if they're good. Yeah, you
1: know what I mean. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, ninety nine left balloons uh, was playing at Denny's the other day, mm-hmm. and I have determined that any time that movie that song plays, I'm in a better mood. Yeah, I don't care how many times I, I hear it.
0: And there's also like, but some of the stuff they actually set the fights to is is fun. Um, one of the, the maybe the first fight in the movie, which is, um, the one in a moving car, uh, is to. Um, no, it's it's a song called Major Tom, which is not mm-hmm. the David Bowie song. Right. It's, do you know the song we're talking about? It's it's the one that. Uh, what's his name Do you remember Breaking Bad They found the karaoke video And he's singing the yes. Earth below us Drifting flying. Oh I know the song Yeah yeah Well it's the German version of okay. that Because the movie takes place in Berlin So there's a fight to that And there's another fight To set to Father Figure By George Michael Which is a, a, a Delightful So I feel like people are like Rolling their eyes At the music choices But they're not giving The movie credit For using them well Even though they're big hits The movie is using them Is using them well Um, really I think to get a little more academic about it and I wrote about this in my review I think the movie is really about it's less about it's characters and more about um, because it's set in the days before and after the Berlin Wall fell but it is very much not a movie that's about communism or capitalism Mm -hmm. or freedom or oppression or anything like that the reason I think they set it there is that it's a movie about chaos um, and how and and different differing methods of dealing with chaos Our, our lead Lorraine um, remains, as I said, cool, cool, as a cucumber. She remains on her path. She's got a mission. She deals with the chaos by pushing, by sort of forcing her way through it and reigning single minded. Whereas her foil, uh, James McAvoy's character, David Percival, who is another British agent who has been in, he has been in Berlin for a lot longer than she has. And has, uh, as the movie says, gone native. He, okay. He's, um, uh, you know, gotten into like black market selling, selling jeans in East Berlin, you know, de- denim, mm-hmm. you know, blue jeans in East Berlin and stuff like that. And he's dealing with the chaos by rolling with the punches and adapting and right. and riding the waves. And so I, I think the movie, uh, is at its best when it's sort of comparing these two philosophies of chaos. Yeah. Um, and now obviously Lorraine's our lead, so The movie has, you know, it chooses one over the other. Yeah. Um, but David, but James McAvoy is, uh, I say David, his character's name is David, um, does get one of the highlights of the movie is a, a speech about why he loves the Berlin as it is in the late eighties. Hmm. Um, that is, it's one of the, it's, uh, as far as non action scenes, it's one of the, my, my favorite parts of, of the movie. Uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, Especially if you, like, if you like action movies, um, then,
1: then, then you'll like it. It also has John Goodman in it. You can't go wrong with that. Here's a fun thing. Uh, the latest example of a, of a Facebook conversation that I allowed myself to get pulled into. Okay. Um, so I've, I don't know how open I've been about my, how much I mm, detest. Yeah, let's say detest. There's a website called Movie Guide, and it's a Christian thing. And it is, I feel dirty when I read it because it is so self-promoting in a way that, it's just like, you know, for a, for a website that really doesn't like the way Hollywood do, it does things, you are as Hollywood as it gets. <laughs> um, but a big thing, and they just keep talking about how, and they talk so much about box office and they seem to equate that with quality Mm. And so, or they certainly equate it with like moral quality and, and the idea, and and they are trying to like influence the films that like Hollywood makes because, and so they always talk about when, you know, a family film or or a G or PG rated movie like outperforms an R rated film or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, you know, the emoji movie came out the same week as atomic blonde, which features violence and sexuality and that kind of thing. So they, yeah, it is, uh, it, it's a hard R having yeah. seen it. All right. <laughs> it's good to know. It earns that R. Uh, and so it says, so this article is all about how, you know, we've, we've, we've predicted it. We've said it, you know, as we always say, like Hollywood, uh, needs to gear things more towards family because that's, what's going to make the money emoji movie, like, uh, did very well. And it beat out, uh, atomic blonde to which I, uh, couldn't help it. And what's frustrating is I actually, mm, mm, I interviewed the, the head of movie guide for a paper I was writing. Okay. And uh, that wasn't the best experience either. But anyway, um, and so I couldn't help. It. And I said, wait, are you telling me, that you are holding up the universally reviled emoji movie, which is seen less as a film and more as a cynical cash grab as an example of anything that any movie should be. And just like, it it, it astonishes me. But that's the thing is when you boil things down to when the thing you care about least is artistic expression yeah. So it could be box office. It could be content, you know, moral content. is Yeah. Content that's what whatever. really
0: rubs me the wrong way is the idea that just because a movie has a PG rating, it's more family friendly. Yeah. Like I would be, I, I'm not, I'm not kind of, I'm not going to sit here and say how I, you know what I would be like as a parent. I don't want to be prescriptivist as, sure. as a person who has no intention of ever having kids. Sure. But it feels to me that the emoji movie could be just as damaging to ever a child's psyche. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in
1: terms of commercialism, and from what I hear, the kid will come. Away, you know, at least when you watch Atomic Blonde, you're not coming away saying like, "I need to buy some Sony products." <laughs> um, <laughs> Again, that's based entirely on what I've read. Um, No, you think I need to buy some black market Levi's. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, the wall came down? Yeah, well. Yeah,
0: and I need to rush out and get a Flock of Seagulls record.
1: Uh, Well, hey, that's not too (laughs) terrible. Um, But then at the same time, Alyssa Wilkinson, who is a Christian, was uh, interviewed for uh, one of the podcasts under the More Than One Lesson banner, and she writes for Vox. Uh, She wrote a wonderful I don't like to use the word takedown but it was clearly this she hated the Emoji movie so much uh, and just did not and made no bones about it and saying like she didn't actually say I want to destroy this movie Mm -hmm. and other movies like it but that's really what came through and so uh, so yeah that's so I feel like I need to see Atomic Blonde on principle now there you go (laughs) Um, okay so next up for me a film that I missed in theaters because it was there for about five seconds, but I wanted to see Gore Verbinski's A Cure for Wellness. Oh, yeah, I want to see that, too. David, uh, okay. Gore Verbinski is a mystery to me. He is an enigma because he makes, you know, he's made big movies that make a lot of money. I actually looked him up on Wikipedia, and, like, he is one of the highest grossing directors because of, you know, the more mainstream films that he's made. But his sensibility is are astonishing to me. That's... This that's, is a... Two, in, the, in the best way. I talked about way.
0: it before. You know, uh, I, the Pirate sequels, the ones that he made, they are huge box office successes. They are also super weird.
1: Yeah. Oh, he. I think it's fair to say that his movies have... are always at least partially batshit crazy. Uh-huh. A Cure for Wellness is... two and a half hours, by the way. Yeah, I heard Did that. Did not know that. Of beautiful insanity some weird body horror some stuff that'll make you like cringe okay i'm even more with with a really wonderful gothic score and just it feels in many ways like a hammer film as far as the type of story they're telling and the and the uh the the story details that come out and It really, uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And while I think Dane DeHaan could be seen as kind of a limited actor, uh, I do think that he looks a certain way and I think he fits visually into A Cure for Wellness wonderfully.
0: And is is that the end of your thoughts on A Cure for Wellness? Go see it. Okay.
1: Uh, So, okay, so my next one is an odd little film it is called Handsome it's directed by Jeff Garland uh, you might have seen it on sure. uh, on Netflix it is a very strange little film um, the title reminds me of and then I'll let you get into it okay <laughs> but there, uh, uh,
0: some uh, inside joke with me and my wife I remember in The Sopranos um, one of the times that uh, that that um, Tony goes to visit his mother in the in the nursing home mm-hmm. And there's talking the hall, and um, another woman walks by nursing home, and Livia Soprano says, uh, "This is my son." And the other woman says, "Handsome." <laughs> and then, like as she walks a little bit out of earshot, Livia says, "She's a degenerate gambler."
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that show sure could be funny. Uh-huh. Um, Okay. Uh so what handsome is so the full title is Handsome and Netflix Mystery. Okay. Here's okay, it, this thing fascinates me. Essentially it is it is like a detective show, but it's a it's a full movie. But it is acting as though this it, this is an established ser- established series with Jeff Garland's character as this police detective and this is like a special like you know, like an A and E event. You know, where a special, extra long episode—that's what it feels uh-huh. like—of a uh, thing that has already been established, uh, and it is funny. It is profane. Okay, it—it's it, it, such an odd mixture of tones, uh, but. I love I love Jeff Garland's sensibility as a performer and as a writer or whatever, just because there's a real benevolence and a real kind of sweetness to who he is, but still like a certain loudness and a certain frustration with the world. um, And it really comes through. But what I will say is that and this isn't a spoiler because the movie spoils it in the first scene. Uh I'm telling you about the first scene. Okay. So we before the credits, we see a swimming pool and we see Steven Weber come out of the swimming pool and he says, hi, I'm Steven Weber. I play the murderer in tonight's episode. (laughs) And so and he just says, have a good show. That's basically it. And then the show starts. And then when we see Steven Weber, I remember just thinking like, "Okay, well, he's set up as a potential suspect, but surely. No. He is the murderer. It's, it's treated as like who did this and he already told you who did it. It serves no purpose at all, but I kind of wow, love it. sounds awesome. It's, it, you know, it, it's, it's not as laugh out loud funny as I would like it to be, but if they actually turned handsome into a Netflix mystery <laughs> series, I think I would love it. And, uh, and I think you would enjoy it as well.
0: All right. Uh, I'm a next. um, I saw a movie uh, that I've been looking forward to. Uh, it's called Ingrid Goes West. Um right. directed by, by Mites No, directed by Matt Spicer, not Mike Passer. Right. M- Matt Spicer.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe let's stay away from his name for a while. <laughs> Ingrid
0: Goes West. Uh I was looking forward to it mostly uh, I would say 90% because it stars Aubrey Plaza, um a- an actor that I've become uh a- really enamored with. And I don't mean that in like a period way. I mean, like, I think she's really terrific in a way that like she has a very, she has a persona mm-hmm. and most of her stuff sort of falls within it. And I think it could be deceptively like one note scenic, sure. but sure. there's actually a ton going on in her different, different characters. Um, and I don't. Do you know what Ingrid Goes West is about? I don't.
1: I think I read it, but I, I don't. I don't remember what.
0: Uh, so basically, she plays a uh, young woman named Ingrid, who um is a stalker, <laughs> and who becomes a, sort of obsessed with an uh, a minor Instagram celebrity. Yes, that's right. Named okay. Taylor, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who's terrific in the movie, mm-hmm. and she takes the her inheritance from her mother's death. Ingrid uh, does and moves like at the drop of a hat moves to Venice, California mm-hmm. specifically to be with this person near this person. She's stalking and like ingratiates herself into her, her, her life. Um, uh, and uh, I think, uh, ultimately I can't recommend the movie, but I think it does a good job. Uh, and a lot of this is down to, to Auburn Plaza of balancing it being kind of, a uh, a outrageous comedy mm-hmm. with the fact that it's a, really about a mentally ill person stalking someone. It has yeah. sort of a thriller premise, yeah, uh, but it's mostly a comedy. Wyatt Russell plays Elizabeth Olson's uh, husband, and uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, Ice Cube's son, who played Ice Cube in ah, yes. Stradited Compton, plays um, Ingrid's landlord slash potential love interest. Um and everyone's everyone's very good it also a uh, small turn by uh palm clementief who played mantis in guardians of the galaxy volume Two. Oh, okay yeah um who i didn't re- recognize until the until the end credits because mm-hmm. she didn't have antenna yeah <laughs> um and i think the movie is it's a gr- I, I keep wanting to like it more than i did because it's a great performance and yeah. it has a lot to say about sort of um uh it has a lot to say about, uh, it, about i don't know if it's, yeah it has a lot to say about like instagram culture which makes me sound like a grumpy old man and makes the movie sound grumpy but it's more it's more insightful than that about the idea of sort of um when everything comes, you know, like you've talked about with criticism, you know, there's a like button. So like, there's no yeah. differentiation between like, Oh, I like that. Or, Oh, I fucking love that. So yeah. everything becomes like the greatest. Yes. Everything becomes the best. Um, and it becomes about sort of, uh, cultivating the personality, which is something that we see, um, Ingrid doing in order to be more like Taylor. Mm-hmm. She's making up a personality, but we also see that like Taylor's online personality is just as much, Made up you know right. that she 's not any more uh, she 's you know traditionally more sane than ingrid, but she 's not any more authentic than ingrid uh, the reason i can 't really recommend the movie is I think in the end it, it you know we 've talked about to what extent the movie can be uh you know saved or undone by its ending, and I think this movie comes pretty close to being undone hmm. by its ending, where I think it it tips over into sort of full blown satire in a way that I think is a betrayal of the, uh, of the truly, you know, suffering character that it you know, this person is legitimately mentally ill. And I think turning the corner that it turns at the end, um, trivializes that. And I, and I found it to be, uh, like I said, a betrayal uh, of the movie. Hmm. Um, good performances. There's a lot of good stuff. A lot of very sort of specific, like, um, poking fun at uh, a certain type of, uh, Angelino, you know, sure. Uh, the type of people, you know, the, the type of Angelino who uh, isn't in town in April because of Coachella. Uh, <laughs> That's okay, the type yeah. of Angelino I'm talking sure. about. <laughs> the,
1: the Coachella people. Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, okay, so my okay, so I'm next. Okay, so uh, I yeah, saw just, just one this time, right? Okay, uh, so I saw Catherine Deekman's Strange Weather, starring Holly Hunter. Oh, I want to see this. And Carrie Coon. Um, it is very good, not quite great. Good, uh, some solid performances as one would expect. Uh, Holly Hunter plays this uh, woman in a small southern town. I don't remember where. And she is single and her son uh, has killed himself uh, a while ago, okay. several years ago, in fact. And she's just kind of drifting along. But she there's a certain free spirit to her, a uh, sp- free spirited quality to her as well. So it's, a, it's an eccentric character that I think uh, Holly Hunter unsurprisingly pulls all of these disparate things about her together so that it's not contradictory. It doesn't seem atonal or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's, uh, it's a full fledged character. Uh, and then she discovers something, uh, and I won't say what, but she discovers something that gets her thinking about her son again in a very real way. And she decides yeah. she needs to go on the road to confront somebody. Uh, and she brings along Carrie, her friend, Carrie Coon. Um, so, uh, And Carrie Coon is, unsurprisingly, uh, also very good. Um, She, I think, for uh, like a lot of people, I think the first thing I was aware of her in was Gone Girl, and I thought she was amazing in Mm -hmm. that. But um, there are a couple of moments here and there where it feels, uh, it's hard to explain, where the director is maybe playing a little bit too much into the the larger themes and and everything's kind of being worn on its sleeve if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh and then there's i think there's also one or two moments when and you know i love holly hunter I think she's great. Me too. That's but the there, reason
0: I said I wanted to watch this movie.
1: Yeah. And you know, and I'll I'll definitely be like as of right now still submitting her for a BP for best actress cuz there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of gr- like really harrowing stuff that she does, but also very funny as well. But there's a couple of moments here and there where she she does something that clearly was an actress's instinct in the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with acting on instinct, but it's the kind of thing where like, I'm seeing the actress follow an, an instinct, not the character. And it's, you know, it's a fine line, but it's one of those things where just because something feels right for an actor doesn't mean it actually is right for the character, no matter how in tune that actor is with the character and no matter how great the actor is but this is a a director who is not super experienced undoubtedly thrilled to be working with Holly Hunter and probably let her do whatever she wanted if I had to guess Mm. and so there's a couple moments here and there where Holly Hunter I feel terrible speaking ill of Holly Hunter by and large. It's an amazing performance, but mm-hmm. there's, yeah, I just needed a little bit of tightening and I think maybe a little bit more discipline on the part of the director. Cause that's the thing is I don't right. think, I don't think I want to hit Holly Hunter too hard here because she's doing what an actor does, which is follow her instinct. And in this particular moment, she followed this. Uh, and because of a Q and a session, I happen to know that like this was the only take that she did it in. Mm. because it felt right in the moment and that's where it takes the discipline of a director to say i that doesn't feel 100 percent right we're going to go with a different take so uh so i guess maybe i'm i'm putting the the blame more on on the director than you know well,
0: as a subscriber to the auteur theory that's absolutely what you There you can. go.
1: But the film, I think, is still mostly worth seeing. And if you're a Holly Hunter fan, I think absolutely.
0: Okay. Um, next up for me, uh, you mentioned Netflix a little bit earlier. Uh, a, a new f- uh, feature available on Netflix is Jim Strauss's The Incredible Jessica James. Mm. And I would highly recommend this movie. It's a delight, uh, mostly as a star vehicle for Jessica Williams, who um, completely owns the movie. It's the kind of movie that she's such a singular presence and she such the focal point and so owns the movie that if I didn't know, I would think it was like a writer director star type of hmm. thing. Like it seems, it seems so much her movie. Yeah. Um, that I was, I, I almost had to re- be reminded that Jim Strauss, um, wrote and directed it. Um, but basically it's a, um, in, in the broad sense, it's a romantic comedy about her, um, having a relationship with, uh, Chris O'Dowd. Okay.
1: Not,
0: uh, not as himself. He's playing a character. Got it. Um, uh, but what, uh, one thing I really liked about it that I think we don't see enough in romantic comedies, but is, uh, a, a good message and B probably more true to life is that as much as this budding romance is like a big thing that's happening in her life, we, uh, we are always reminded that like her personal dreams and her career and her friendships and her family are more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's almost like it has all the ingredients. I don't I talked about this in my review. Like every, every romantic comedy has the best friend of the female lead. Sure. Character. Um, uh, who's usually just sort of like a support system or cheerleader or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, but in this movie you've got just with a little, just a little tweaking of like the, the the knob just making uh, the actress's name is Noelle Wells. I didn't know who she was, but apparently she's on Master of None. My wife knew who she was okay. um, by just making her character a little bit more prevalent. That character becomes less, even though that is a, ty- a stock type role for mm-hmm. romantic comedy. That character becomes real to us because we understand that they really are friends and they've been friends for longer. And if this thing with Chris O'Dowd doesn't work out, they'll continue to be friends and that will be more important. Right. Uh, I found that really touching, but mostly it's just Jessica Williams, just owning it.
1: Uh, now what, what has she been? In, she was a,
0: a, a daily show correspondent. Oh, I think okay. is what she's okay. uh,
1: best known for. All right. <clears> and <throat> I probably haven't seen I haven't seen the daily show in years. Me either. So.
0: Um, no, uh, uh, yeah, I think I watched it when Wyatt Zaneck uh, yeah. was on. That was probably yeah. the last time I watched it, which at this point was like nine years ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's true. I watched one when um, for Hey Watch This it was a, for new listeners. That was a TV show, TV related podcast I used to do. Um, when when John Oliver took over when John Stewart left to direct Rosewater, right? Yeah, John Oliver took over for a while. We watched one or two of those for Hey Watch okay, This. Yeah, so that was probably the last time I watched uh, a Daily Show. How was that? Uh, it was it was good. I like John Oliver. Um, not so sure I'm crazy about last week tonight, but I've never actually yeah. watched it. So I can't say that. Well, and there, there I, are I, so I many sequences
1: annoyed. that are shared on social media. I've yeah, I watched think that's a lot good, of them. Annoyed, I,
0: I've never watched one of those either. So I should oh, okay, say, yeah. I think I'm taking a stand maybe a little bit.
1: Yeah, I don't care for him on. Uh, I don't dislike it, but just on that show, I feel like it's. I don't know. It's, it's a kind of comedy that I don't really care for that much. Um, yeah. But, but you know what? It's, I do enjoy, I guess he's not necessarily writing it, but I've always enjoyed him when he was on uh, community yeah. where they yeah. really play up his Britishness.
0: No, I think, um, yeah, at a certain point, those types of shows, those like comedian driven newsy shows. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I hit a wall and I don't watch any of, I never watch. I stopped watching Colbert, yeah. I never watched Larry Wilmore. I never watched uh, John Oliver. Um, I haven't watched Bill Maher forever, but now it's not cool to like Bill Maher anymore, which I, that sounds like I'm being cheeky. Like he seems to have turned into, I mean, I guess he was always an asshole, but um seems to be uh, doubling down on it in a weird way. Yeah. Or just like, stubbornly ignorant to the ways in which people think he's an asshole uh, and, yeah. and, and keeps going forward with him. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I stopped watching Bill Maher before it was cool to stop watching Bill Maher, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, all those comedian-driven news type shows, I,
1: because, I don't watch. Th- okay, this sounds terrible. I mean, how many do you need?
0: <laughs> you know, like uh, Samantha B, I I forgot about it. I never, watched, yeah. never
1: watched that. And, I, and I've heard her show is funny and all that, but at the same time, I, I don't know, maybe it's Maybe it's that part of me feels like, you know, we only have so much time in this world, and Uh at the same time, like, oh, here's the so, like for example, there's a couple of a couple of conservative podcasts that I that I listen to, and they would do it, they'd show up every day, but it's like, well, now I'm just hearing the same news story, often the same sound bites, you know, clips of Trump saying whatever, and then people commenting on it, and I was just like. I don't need this, like, at this point. I maybe yeah. boil it down to one if I feel like I absolutely need it. And so I just, like, kind of cut that stuff. So you're like Trump. Life. What was
0: well, that? With his, like, uh, daily briefings, as short as possible. Absolutely, yes, yes. <laughs> one page. Yeah. Lots of pictures. There are Make uh, sure it says my name as many times as possible.
1: Have you <laughs> watched, this isn't on my list here, have you watched The President Show?
0: Uh, no, no. It's
1: kind of great.
0: Oh, okay. That's the guy who did Trump with our friend James Adomian, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Bernie, yeah. All right. There's some um, good stuff happening on that. Well, show. Well, this is all to say you should check out of the incredible <laughs> Jessica James on
1: Indeed, Netflix. Yes, it's very good. Okay, so next for me is uh, Batman and Harley Quinn, which I talked a little bit about uh, in our Comic Con episode. So I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but um, yeah, I think the problem, as I just to reiterate, now that I've written my review, yeah, it's just this this wanting to be everything for everybody. It wants to have these winking and sometimes very overt references to sex, which <laughs> I don't have a problem with. It's the attitude mm-hmm. and the attitude is like, <laughs> can you believe this? It feels very 13 year old. Yeah. And it just, yeah. and it's, it's this idea. It's like, Hey, you know how we kind of sexualize this uh, fictional person, uh, which is Harley Quinn. Yeah. Let's like actually do it now. Let's make uh, this, uh, fan fiction into like an actual official mm. thing. And it just bothers the hell out of me. And then there's stuff. I think I mentioned that there's, uh, there's this like club on the outskirts of Gotham city where various, uh, various thugs, uh, uh, hang out and there's like karaoke and stuff. So, there's two fa- and and it's all thugs from like Batman, the animated series. So two faces like twin thugs, the guys who kind of look like, uh, howdy Doody or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, they're singing that song. I don't, I don't know what the actual title is, but it's like, you know, don't pour your love out on me, baby, you know, uh, cry for a hundred years or whatever, okay. you know, the you'd, oh, you'd know okay. it if you heard it, but, uh, and at one point so they're each holding a mic and at one point one like kind of like drops down on his knees like he's really passionate but the mic is situated in such a way so it looks like it's kind of the other guy's oh jeez please and it's like and every, and everyone at the in the Comic-Con screening they all like laughed cuz it's cuz like yeah of wow. course cuz it's really obvious these are twin brothers wow yeah That's stupid it's incredibly stupid which is frustrating because like there's some good animation in there and, and it just, boy, no, thank you. <laughs> boo, boo hiss, as I've said before.
0: Yes. All right. What's uh, next for me? Oh my God. All right. I watched a great movie. Okay. Um, not only really if you remember uh, an episode you weren't on, so you probably don't remember. Uh, but, uh, a number of months ago with our friend Amanda, uh, uh she and I talked about Scandinavian movies, oh, right? Kind of a, Cursory Look, we ended up sure. talking about mostly a bunch of other stuff and barely just sort of listing some Scandinavian movies that we'd seen. We should probably revisit, revisit the topic sometime someday, someday yeah. and do justice to it. But one thing that multiple people said to me was, um, I can't believe you didn't talk about The Phantom Carriage, which is a 1921 oh, yeah. silent movie from Sweden, uh, directed by uh, Victor Sjostrom. Uh, I could be saying that way wrong, I'm sure. Um, but I guess it's a, it's a sort of landmark uh, Swedish film. Uh so I watched The Phantom Carriage and oh my god, it's so great.
1: Yeah. Um have you seen it? I have not. I've heard it's wonderful. So the
0: the the sort of general premise is that uh um the last person to die on New Year's Eve, um the last person to die before midnight, I guess Swedish time, it doesn't specify. Sure. <laughs> um that person is then uh, has to drive death's carriage and pick up essentially, you know, pick up dead bodies, the rest of the, or pick up not dead bodies, pick up souls, you yeah. know? So it's this phantom carriage that he has to, has to drive. Um, and so the, the main story of the movie is that this guy who dies in this sort of, uh, drunken brawl, uh, with his drunken homeless buddies, um, suddenly he gets, Picked up by the carriage, and the the current driver is like, "This is your job now." And it turns out, the current driver is someone that our our newly dead guy knew, mm-hmm. and so we get this sort of like really sort of uh, layered and fluid um, series of like flashbacks and memories and stuff about. Uh, their Their time together as friends, and also this guy's life before he was a drunken homeless person when he had a, wi- a wife and family that he abandoned, um, and the uh, the the nun who's been trying to who has seen good in him and been trying to yeah. save him, who is also on her deathbed uh, because she has the consumption or whatever. Sure, um, she's got the consumption. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a beautiful movie, and it's. Um, uh it, it has a mix of it has the sort of broad emotions you would expect from a movie in nineteen twenty one, but it has a lot it has a lot of great silent performances, um and, and some really uh great nuanced uh moments of just humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's an absolutely beautiful movie and, and very well well shot in the um uh, it's available on a Criterion Blu-ray and on their Filmstruck channel and they have it uh I guess properly tinted uh you know like it's supposed to be um so yeah definitely
1: the phantom carriage definitely check that out that sounds great and it's you know and the it sounds like the structure is more complex than i ever associate with like films of that era but it's unfair of me to to do that for some reason i think of those uh, of like films from the 19 teens and 20s as like yeah you know film's kind of new and it's silent there's not a lot of dialogue so they're not going to they're not going to delve too deep into things. What the hell am I talking about? Yeah. I don't know why I still have that thought. Yeah. Like you watch Intolerance, you watch any number of films from that time. And it's like sure, yeah. they're narrative; they're incredibly narratively complex. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, okay, next for me is a very very good movie, maybe even great, called Manash. Oh, cool. Uh, directed by things. Joshua Z Weinstein. And it is about uh, this uh, this single father named Menashe in uh, in Brooklyn, I believe, and he is part of a, a, a Orthodox Jewish community. Most of the film, though it takes place in Brooklyn, most of it is in Yiddish. Um, and so, this guy, his wife passed away, and he is kind of he is described as a shlemazel. Uh, he screws things up a lot and within that community, his son is not necessarily taken away, but everybody kind of agrees, including the guy who's (laughs) essentially like the, the high priest or whatever you'd want to say. I, there's a name for it and I don't remember what it is, but, um, uh, everyone agrees that his son, that he should not be in charge of his son. that And so his son is, at the beginning of the film, living with his aunt and uncle and his cousins, and Manash sees him from time to time as he tries to get his life together. And um, and it is it is kind of funny at times, uh, but it is also quite sad, as one can imagine. And I will say that I felt a shocking amount of kinship with the Manash character in ways that I'm not super thrilled with. Uh, because... I happened to watch it at a time when uh, Jen and I were in the midst of this move. And so there's just like all these logistical things to keep track of Uh and logistical things, as I'm sure, you know, uh, over the years of knowing me is not my strong suit. And it's just frustrating to like watch him screw things up and he means so well, but he screw things, screws things up. And as I watch it, I'm just like, boy, I hear you, man. Like, and the stakes are fairly high, no his son's not in any danger of being completely removed from his life like but it's it's weird that like he doesn't have custody of his kid, but not through not as a function of the government but because of this community and a good portion of it is like, well, you know you're single and you really should have like a wife to help take care of this kid. And it's like, yeah, but we didn't get divorced. Like my wife died. What do you want me to do? Like I'm still mourning her, and mm-hmm. so there's all this stuff going on, and it feels very authentic. Um, you know, I mentioned it's funny and sad. In the we talked about Sopranos earlier, but like, you know, <laughs> the great dramas are not, I find, are not only dramas. There are moments of humor sure, and moments yeah. of fun. Uh, and this has all of that, and so it's a film that uh, is kind of making the rounds, in, in you know, in Los Angeles, it's kind of going around the Lemley chain and that sort of thing. So, uh, if you have the opportunity to see it, do check it out. It is it is a, a really heartbreaking, but strangely hopeful film at the same time.
0: All right, I am um, caught up with a movie that's five years old now. It was all the rage at the time it came out, and by my estimation. People haven't been talking about it much since then. Okay, uh, I finally watched it, and I kind of understand why. I watched uh, "Beasts of the Southern Wild." Oh,
1: okay. Nothing special, I don't think. This movie. There's a there's I, a lot that I liked about it at the time, but I don't think about it much yeah. beyond the score. I don't think okay. much about it now.
0: I understand why people are drawn to it because there is some um, some innovative uh, just visual ideas, um, and there's just some really beautiful imagery, like the the poster or whatever the key art, uh, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, um, of, of, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Hush, Wallace Hush puppy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Comanche yeah. Wallace, um, with the sparklers in her hand, running and yeah. everyone else has sparklers is breathtaking. That's very early, yeah. in, early in the movie and it's an absolutely beautiful sequence. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, but I don't, I don't know that, uh, there's that much m- motivation, you, you know, and it, Uh, I do think there's, I feel trepidatious about, about this. Um, because one thing I've learned, uh, that I think I've learned from you, something you said, uh, once is the idea that you, uh, try not to be offended on other people's behalf. Sure. Uh, but there is, I do think there's a bit of a romanticization of poverty in this movie. Sure. Um, that, uh rub me the wrong way um yeah. a lot of the time. I think it's it's like it's insisting on this sort of nobility without backing it up. Yeah. You know? Um we don't know anything about uh I mean and the performance by I I can't remember the guy's the guy's name who plays her her dad. He was Dwight a Dwight Henry, I think. Okay. Um I think it's a good performance, but there's not that much to the characters, is not that much no. f- for us to understand why, like when they get quarantined, they get dr- yeah. taken to the mainland and they like uh, orchestrate an escape. It, it all seems like, uh, kind of phoned in and superficial. Uh, I, I never really grabbed on to wh- whatever this movie had to say. I will say, um, that it's setting given the, rapid melting of glaciers, uh, and sure. stuff that even five years later, it feels a little bit less fantastical. It feels a little mm-hmm. bit more scary. Um, the idea of like Southern, I guess in this case, Southern Louisiana or whatever, uh, just flooding, uh, you know, yeah. um, is, is, you know, it, it's might be even more uh, near future than it was to begin with. And I, and, and that, uh, I, I guess is worth commenting on, but, um, yeah, I was kind of after five years of being like, I kind of get to this movie, and then finally sitting down and watching it. Uh, I don't know; it didn't do much for me.
1: I think I still liked it. I don't remember if it was in my top ten at the time, but I think it was probably in my top twenty, twenty-five. Um, because I do think that there's some really beautiful imagery, and I liked some of the performances, uh, and I do love that score. Uh, but uh, and I do find her father to be not necessarily a a wholly positive character. I think I think he is often seen as frustrating.
0: But doesn't, like, I I feel like it gives you... I feel like the movie doesn't give you enough to unlock his character. I feel like I'm not like I'm missing pieces, like, like, uh, like yeah. something from Ikea, like yeah. I'm missing some pieces that I need. It's like, yeah. Cause there's noble stuff. And then there is like, sometimes he's, uh, he could be a, you know, self-centered jerk or whatever, but I feel like, you know, where does this fit together?
1: Let me, uh, throw this out there having not seen it in five years. Cause I have not revisited. Um, do you think that this is? Uh, by the way, there's a, this is an episode that I've uh, been wanting to pitch the last few days okay. because there's a disturbing trend in my own brain of, uh, of
0: witnesses have noted uh, yeah,
1: of uh, maybe overplaying the importance of perspective, uh, like whose perspective is the film from, okay. and like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be from anybody's, but I find my mind drifting towards that. As though it were a negative thing, like, oh, it's like, well, this is the main character. So why are we seeing this scene? Like, and I don't think that's a good attitude for me to have. Anyway, that's that's an episode idea. But But what I I will say is that the 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 hush puppy, like it is very much her movie. And I could see her her father being something of an enigma to her as well. But
0: Do you think that's in the screenplay? Because I can see what you're saying, but I feel like the the hush puppy hush puppy as written loves her dad. Yes. You know, there was a hush puppy and she lived with her dad in the bathtub. That's like the, you know, repeated, repeated line. She doesn't seem to have any, uh, there's no ambiguity or ambivalence all at all to how she views
1: her dad. To me. Yeah. That's how I
0: experienced it. I think that makes sense.
1: Like if, Okay yeah because the frustration is ours. Mm-hmm. The love is hers, so in a way, it's just like, okay, well, which one is it? like because if we're if you're going to show us enough so that we are frustrated by some of his actions, then I feel like you need to you're allowing us you know kind of a third person omniscient here and so we need to see more of him mm-hmm. so that we can at least make some sense of what he is doing i see what you mean and i think the performance is good i think he does a, uh, as good yeah. of a job as he can to bring all this together I think, But yeah. yeah um yeah okay I, I see what you mean uh okay so next for me uh is a rewatch it's a, a film I've seen many, many times, but for a number of reasons, I felt like I should rewatch it. Which is James Cameron's Aliens. Oh uh, yeah! Which uh, I'm going to be on the Aliens Minute soon. Oh, as a guest host. Oh, did you realize you have to email him? I think I might be too. With me or... Uh, no. Uh, oh, okay. I don't think with you. Right, because I'm doing it with uh, Kyle Anderson of The Nerdist. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I think he said he wanted to split us up because apparently we're just distracting otherwise. Um, yeah, we, we take over. Exactly. Which is...
0: That's, I do that when I'm on anyone's podcast. I take it over. I should stop. Do the, reason.
1: <laughs> Look, it's part of being charismatic, which is what we are. <laughs> okay, if you obviously. say so. <laughs> um, anyway, so... <laughs> the uh, so in watching aliens you know I, I do very much prefer alien and i feel like every time i watch aliens that becomes clearer to me that said aliens is still just such a well structured film and cuz that's the thing it's 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 something that i find myself saying over and over again is that james cameron i might I might often have problems with his dialogue. I may Mm -hmm. think that he writes very archetypical or archetypal. I never know uh, characters, but he's a hell of a storyteller. Like in the broad strokes, the story of aliens is great. Yeah. And yes, these characters are total archetypes, but he trusts the actors enough to, to realize them. And I think they mostly do. Um, And I think he does have a talent for casting. Uh, casting Paul Reiser as Burke, for example, is a really neat uh, instinct. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I do think, and I think we mentioned this in our, in our aliens commentary that visually I'll say this. I think there's a difference and uh, you. Let me know what you think. There's a difference between visual and visceral
0: mm-hmm.
1: viscerally aliens. Absolutely. Uh, can be compared with Alien and probably beats it, as far as it outshines it visually and tonally. I feel like Alien
0: blows it away. I mean, I, I I don't know that I necessarily agree. I think well, I think I don't disagree either. I think that comes down to personal taste. Sure. Because I think James Cameron has a uh, an incredibly um, discipline and effective visual, uh, approach. It's not yeah. dripping with atmosphere the way that, that alien right. is. Um, but I think the way that he, I think in an era, sorry, in an era before we had, you know, uh, these massive, just CGI planets and landscapes and stuff, sure. I think James Cameron has always been able to, translate the sort of cinematic bigness of the thing that he's presenting. You know, even if it's just Marines in a room, like everything always seems larger than life in a way that I think it, uh, it it
1: comes down to knowing how to, how to block and how to frame and what lens to use and stuff like that. And you know, that's interesting. And I think that, I think that comes down to, I think that, uh, gets me back to what I'm saying, which is, uh, that, I think, comes down to storytelling ambition. But I don't feel like he's visually ambitious, as strange as that may sound. And and I'm going to put Alien aside. Like, when I think of it, it's just like, yeah, Aliens is, like, Marines. Like, wa- I, the corridors are, are, are fine and all that. But, like, walking around in an office and then walking around, like, oh, here's the Aliens layer, but it's still just, like some gunk and it's just, it's, it's, it's cinema, uh, cinematographically, ugh, um, it feels a little bit perfunctory or, or at least functional, which there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that that is the kind of director he is, but the bigness that you're talking about, I think is a storytelling bigness.
0: See, I, I, what I, uh, what I think is, I think there's a difference between like some, some directors do things that no one else can do. Sure. Some directors do, the conventional thing, but better than anyone else. And I think sure. that's James Cameron is, is the
1: latter. I I could see it, that. Absolutely. You know,
0: I think it's the reason that I've always compared, um, Christopher Nolan to James Cameron. Sure. Uh, I know my, my go-to thing is that Christopher Nolan is James Cameron, but he thinks he's Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Um, uh, but if you think about the dark Knight, right. And think about that semi truck flipping. Yes. Now that's a big, any big studio, movie with enough of a budget and stunts and and stuff like that could flip a truck. Right. But Christopher Nolan is going to show you a truck flipping in the best possible way. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I feel about James Cameron too.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it is interesting because I often describe Christopher Nolan as a hell of a storyteller, even if I don't particularly like some of his script Mm -hmm. choices. Um, Yeah. I think that's probably about right. And that's a good, that's a good example because when that, truck flips over in the dark night like all the music drops out mm-hmm. and the only thing you hear is the creaking of that truck as it flips over yeah. and then the crash um because <laughs> so it's cool. because it brings because there's music and stuff uh before that and and several loud noises and then suddenly it's like no 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 chase is over yeah see this is what it is now this yeah. is the new circumstance and so um but what Have i watch s- the special features like how many times they
0: like flipped trucks like no, out in the desert to like get it right?
1: No, I didn't. Because
0: they did it on on a Chicago street. Yeah. Which means not only they had to flip a truck, they had to make sure it flipped straight up and over. Yeah. Or else it was gonna hit a building and they were going to pay pay a lot for the damage to the building. So yeah. they like practice it you can watch it there's like uh, the way they did it is there's like a huge hydraulic piston under the cab that Mm. just shoots directly into the ground yeah and the truck flips forward and you can watch them do it like out in the desert uh to make sure they know how to do it without it losing control so
1: i'll say that you know what here's (laughs) i think i think a dot has been connected here Dark Knight and aliens are very similar uh-huh. as far as my reaction to them. Some people think they are the best fucking things in the <laughs> world and I watch them and I think like that is as solid as as a thing can get and <coughs> it's effective. It's not my favorite, not even my favorite of the series, but in general it's not like this life-changing thing that aliens was for some people and the Dark Knight was for some people. Um but uh i actually think dark knight probably is a bit more technically ambitious but at the same time like i'm not sure exactly what i what i mean when i say that that it just seems and, and it probably is a function of personal preference like when i love i love aliens so much that there's something about aliens that for example, with the alien itself, the fact that there are now so many and that they can now be so easily dispatched mm-hmm. okay. it kind of demystifies it. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Not it's not that it is unambitious. It's that the the mystifying element of alien right. that I love so much is not in this film.
0: But also the the our protagonists this time are trained military. Yeah. So yeah. they have more of a fighting chance against the aliens than right. the, the merchant Marines did.
1: Yeah. And I, and, and it's weird. I usually like, I think I like that. I normally, or at least I used to like that kind of thing. I like when, when the heroes have a fighting chance, but they still don't do well. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a certain fatalism to that that I like, <laughs> but, uh, but I do, I think, I think there's an element. Uh, I remember Siskel and Ebert were talking about Jurassic Park and they were talking about how they there. It lacks a certain sense of awe, uh, that it has it for a, for a while, and then it becomes a fairly standard monster movie. And I guess that's the thing: is Alien. I feel like has a lot of awe, and, and I really need to watch Jurassic Park again because every time you
0: slag it off, I want to defend it. But I also realize I haven't seen it well, in I like def- fifteen years. At well, least. I
1: definitely like it more than they did. But uh, but yeah, and and that was a big thing for Ebert. He loved a sense of awe mm-hmm. and alien understandably has it. Cause it's the first time we've seen these things, right. uh, aliens. It makes sense that it would drag it a bit more into a, into a sort of a workmanlike, uh, attitude because that's who these characters are. But, uh, but yeah, I still, I still enjoy it. And one thing that I like, and by listening to the aliens met it, actually, this has been very helpful is not unlike alien. We go, a wh- we go a while before we see any, iconography like i believe the first bit of true alien iconography aside from you know ripley's nightmare but and ripley herself but we see acid that has burned through like a oh, floor in right, a yeah. corridor and then we see face hucker uh, face huggers in a tube and so like slowly but surely like cameron is reintroducing us into this horrible mm-hmm. nightmare that alien was and so like again from a storytelling standpoint like yeah, give James Cameron two and a half hours because he will utilize every minute. Uh, and so I still, I really enjoyed it. And I will say that I also watched the commentary. And uh, one of my big takeaways is I don't think we all realize just how much we lost when Bill Paxton died. Mm. Like he, just conversationally, like he is, he's in the room with Michael Bean, Jeanette Goldstein, and Lance Henriksen and Lance Henriksen is being very serious as he often tends to be Jeanette Goldstein is being super friendly uh because she's out of the business now so she kind of has an interesting perspective on things uh and then Michael Bean and Bill Paxton are just uh, cutting each other up and at one point at one point uh Hudson's on screen and he's like just you know crying about something and Michael Bean's like he goes Bill, what are you crying about here? And he goes, he goes, I don't know, some damn thing. And just like in that very charming Texas way that he has. And, uh, and yeah, it's a great commentary. And, and again, that alien Blu-ray set is like one of the wisest financial investments (laughs) I've ever made. And now I'm not just talking about movies.
0: (laughs) All right. um, So obviously I was in a 2012 mood. Okay. Uh, watching movies that I had missed in 2012. And so I went back and I watched a movie. I don't know if you even know if you remember this movie. Uh, it's called thanks for sharing. And it stars, um, uh, Bruce Banner and Pepper Potts, uh, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo and Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. Uh, oh yes. Yes. Tim okay. Robbins, Josh Gad, Pink, uh, the singer Pink okay. being credited by her uh, name, uh, Alicia Moore and Patrick Fugit is in it as well. Okay. Uh, it's a movie about sex addicts,
1: and it's not very good. That's right. I heard it was very bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really does. It feels like... Uh, I mean, on the one hand, like I do like respect how seriously the movie takes sex addiction, but I think it errs it in having... Um, uh, I mean, Pink's character is the only lady sex addict we see and she has the least developed story of the four. Yeah. So we're only seeing is, so we're only seeing the male side of sex addiction, but also all three, Tim Robbins, Mark Ruffalo, and Josh Gad are all not rich, but like stable. Do you know what I mean? And comfortable. And so like, I feel like it makes sex addiction seem like on the one hand, it's like, yes, it's a serious addiction in the same way that you can be addicted to the things you're used to hearing people being addicted about. And it gets that across, but it also makes it, uh, it, it, it sterilizes a little bit by reducing the consequences that it has on the people's lives because they're, they're They generally pretty much have it together. Yeah. or if, you know, if they don't, if they fall, you know, if they fall off the wagon or whatever, which of course they do, it's a movie, you know, and also that in real life that happens. Yeah. Um, you never worry, you never worried that it's, uh, uh, that it's really going to ruin their lives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, like I said, it gets across the realities of sex addiction. But the problem is that that seems what it's most interested in doing. Um, uh, talking to uh, a friend of ours about the movie the other, the other day, I said it felt like a series of like, um, and you'll know what I'm talking about, like, uh, para- like church skit parables. Like they're trying to like this scene is about imparting this lesson and this scene is about imparting this. Lesson. That's, oh, yeah. And that's kind of like a series of those, except instead of yeah. about the gospel or
1: whatever, it's about sex addiction, but that's kind of what each feels like. Everybody should be dressed in black and turtlenecks <laughs> right. in a black box theater and be like, yeah. okay, this vignette is over time for the next one.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how it, how it felt. And by the, by the end of it, I was just,
1: I was watching the clock. I was ready, ready for this thing to be over. Yeah. Uh, too bad. Fascinating yeah. that, uh, it's like, I want to revisit 2012. I know the one I want to see is this <laughs> completely forgettable and by all accounts, bad film. Uh, yeah. what made you want to see it out of curiosity? You know, I, you know, I, I don't need to get into my OCD. I, yeah. have, I have lists.
0: I attack the lists <laughs> in the order that the master list tells me to attack the lists. And that was just up next.
1: <laughs> oh boy. That's that requires some decoding, but I feel like i'm a, i'd be afraid to uh so I watched uh or rather we rewatched. i hadn't seen it since high school uh my favorite year directed by Richard Benjamin and starring Peter O'Toole oh right and there's um, yeah it's uh it's fine um I really liked it when I was in high school um, Peter O'Toole remains great. Uh, of course uh and then there's uh joe bologna bologna i don't know um who is playing who's clearly playing a cid a caesar type and he does a great job as well um there's a lot of good stuff in there but i feel like it's it's really broad and when i saw that it was because i don't think i knew this at the when i saw it as a high school or not that i'd be looking for it but um i believe it was produced by mel brooks and it has that quality to it but not like his you know i think mel brooks does best when he's you know doing parodies of a genre or something like that like blazing saddles or young frankenstein i'm not a huge fan of the producers because i think he has a very specific type of sensibility when he's telling an original story and it's big and over the top and uh it's it's something that i at least thought that worked for the producers i like the producers i i mostly do i think that the two leads have a lot of chemistry Mm -hmm. um and i think that's when it's at its best is when the two of them are going back and forth um but uh but yeah with this everything is just so big and mark lynn baker who would later go on to be in perfect strangers sure he plays the lead i think it's his first film role and
0: then uh, as himself on the leftovers did you know about this no okay
1: as himself
0: this, I didn't watch the leftovers, but this is my understanding. Okay. Is that when the, you know, the premise of leftovers that a bunch of people just disappear. Yeah. It's like the rapture.
1: Uh, yeah, but it's very
0: specifically not, it the is not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so I guess in the first episode, there's like on the TV in a bar, um, they're just, you're seeing some of the celebrities who disappeared. And one of them is Marklin Baker. I, and then I guess in like the second season, <laughs> it came up again where it turned out Marklin Baker hadn't disappeared. He had faked his disappearance and was like hiding out. (laughs) This is, I'm getting all this secondhand because I didn't watch the leftovers.
1: That sounds great. (laughs) But yeah, it's very funny to me. Um, wow, that's great. Uh, well, what I will say is that he, and I don't think I would put the blame on him. I think, uh, it's the tone of the film. I think he plays it very, very broad and I find myself, but I will say, and this this is going to sound really weird, there is a very specific type of Mel Brooks' Jewish humor. Okay. That when you watch enough of his films, you're like, okay, I see this. Like, I have no personal experience with it, but I experience it through Mel Brooks' depiction of Judaism <laughs> uh, and and that's a big part of Marklin Baker's character in the film. And so it's, it's a good movie. It's worth watching. Um, Peter O'Toole is, is the most notable part of it. And he was nominated for best actor. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's when I was younger, I really loved it. And I think it's cause honestly, it was the first time I was seeing a lot of that stuff and mm-hmm. now I've seen it since and better.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, um, the next thing on my list, uh, I actually can't talk about it. I forgot I'm under embargo uh, right. and for good reason. Cause I didn't like it. They're right to, they're, they're right to shut me up
1: on. When you it. are not under embargo, will you talk about it? Probably not. Aww. that's, I it, like hearing you be negative sometimes. Yes. But you know, I write reviews of all of these. They're on the website. You could just read my reviews. David, everybody knows we're primarily a podcast yeah, moving good. on. Uh, so here's another rewatch. And it was a weird impulse. I This was a rewatch while I was working, I should say. Um, hadn't seen it in a while, so I decided to rewatch Zack Snyder's Watchmen. I watched The Watchmen, oh, David. Um, That's who does that. Yeah, <laughs> There's your answer. <laughs> uh, somebody could have just spray-painted, oh, it's Tyler, uh, a little bit further down the wall. Yeah. Um, so okay it's still a good story it's hard to mask the power of that story mm-hmm. Rorschach especially um, and then as time has gone on I've become increasingly fascinated with the comedian character I think he's both in the comic and, and, mm-hmm. and the way he's written I think it's just a fascinating character but um, uh, in watching this I think all the actors are doing everything they can and and, and I think they're doing pretty well Um some of the sequences are, are pretty great. I really like, uh, I think I like the prison break, uh, with Rorschach and Night Owl and Silk Spectre and all that. Um, but it just, it's all of these things that I, that should work, but somehow they, I say somehow it's cause of Zack Snyder, but, uh, they just don't, it just doesn't, I don't think that every film should conform to the same structure, the same act structure, but at the same time, and you and I have talked about this before, we talked about it with 300, we talked about it with this, like, you can't just bring this 12-part structure into your film and act like it's going to be the same. If you want to turn it into, people have said it before, if you want to turn it into a 12-part miniseries, that's more understandable, because like, okay, this is an episode that is rorschach's episode now we've got you know night owls episode or something like that but now it just it jumps around in a way that i feel like it does somehow it doesn't do anybody any justice but it also spends too much time with them uh it's it's a very strange it's a very strangely formatted film and one that i feel like is on one hand i feel like it's 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 not it's a little too pandery to like, well, we don't want to cut anything out because then the the fans will be upset, but let's also uh, design the costumes in such a way so that they look like every other superhero movie instead of really trying to recreate what the comic was supposed to do, which is what would this look like in mm-hmm. real life with Doctor. Manhattan being the only actual superhero right um, so it's just. It's like this weird, confused mess where it's trying to be everything, and it winds up being very little, with a couple of exceptions. I think everything Rorschach works really well, but that's I think that's a function of Alan Moore being a good writer and mm. and the design of the character being good and, and uh Jackie Earle Haley doing a good job. So it's just a film that like I was really trying to give it a chance. I mean, like maybe I've been too hard on it, but I just came away from it being like That was two and a half hours, and somehow it just felt... And admittedly, I was working while I was watching it, but nonetheless, it's my third time seeing it. Um, Hmm. It just feels so unsatisfying. Did you read any of the before Watchmen comics? I did not. It felt wrong.
0: I understand that it felt wrong. It felt wrong to me, too, but um, they're not bad. They're not bad? Okay. (laughs) But on principle, I am kind of not happy they exist, but I am happy that I read them. Yeah. They're not bad. All right. Um, moving on. I watched, uh, catching up on movies from last year. I moved on to that list. Okay. Um, and I watched, uh, Raul Peck's I am not your Negro, which is the movie by James
1: Baldwin. Right. Um, Netflix. It's on Netflix right now.
0: Um, Oh, okay. It's also on Amazon Prime if oh, you, okay. uh, uh, for free if you have a, if you're a Prime member, which I am. Uh,
1: thank you very much. There's <laughs> something about doing a little snip. It's very uh, Barney Fife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't mind telling you, I'm a Prime member. Uh, you think Barney Fife would be a Prime member uh, no. today? No, no. Yeah, I think he'd be trying to get Netflix on his flip phone and not not realizing why it's not working.
0: <laughs> I think you're exactly right, um, but. Uh, holy cow, man, this movie is great. I've heard, um, it, uh, the, the basic premise, or at least where it starts off is, um, that I guess at the time that James Baldwin died, he was writing, uh, or, or was planning to write a book about Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, three people that he had known mm-hmm. personally who had all been killed. Right. Um, and he was going to be one book about them. And all he had written, I guess, was a 30-page outline that he'd presented to his uh, publisher. And so that 30-page outline is sort of the backbone of the 90-minute movie. But the, um, the narration is by Samuel L. Jackson, but it's all James Baldwin's words. Okay. I don't know if it's entirely from that outline. I think there's some things from other things that he'd written as well. Um, uh, but it's... Um, yeah it's 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 beautifully read by samuel jackson and the movie i think um it's yeah it's about it's i say it's about the movie's not really about james baldwin okay but the movie's, it's not uh a, a work of biography it's really about the civil rights movement and making the argument much like 13 did last year, mm-hmm. making the argument that the civil rights movement is not something that happened 50 years ago. It's something right. that's still happening. Right. And so taking these things, like putting the words that, um, that, um, uh, that James Baldwin wrote in the, in the sixties and seventies, and then pairing them with images from, from Ferguson or from, uh, um, the, I forget the guy's name that, uh, Michael B. Jordan played in Fruitvale station from, from that. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Uh, uh, it's, it's really powerful and it's not, I, I feel like when I say it that way, it sounds forced or it sounds preachy. Um, and it's, it's not that because it makes the connections, um, real because of what James Baldwin said. And I think the, the main point that he gets across or that he that he seems to try to get across in his writing, um, that I think people honestly, uh, a, a lot of people, e- even, um, you know, liberals, a lot of white people don't they they they've failed to think about Black Americans in this way, which is that the the ancestors of black americans have in many cases been living in what this country is for hundreds of years longer than the white people's ancestors right. like that um like black americans are just as much if not more part of the builders of america right um and and he, he like and even and it's something that I think we forget. Like I said, even people who consider themselves liberal or progressive, um, uh, you know, we uh, tend to think of black America as this almost ancillary thing. Yeah. You know, it's th- that it's, um, that there are, there are problems they're facing, or if you're a certain type of person, you might think that they are a problem, um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people who feel that way still exist in mm-hmm. this country. Um, but in, in any in any case, to use a more modern term that James Baldwin doesn't use, there's an othering. Sure. Um, and I think something that James Baldwin insisted on, and the movie really really gets across, um, is that we need to remember <laughs> that, uh, that 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 uh, Black America is uh 100% as american as as any other uh, uh, america. Just, right. there are it's
1: not their problems it's our it's everyone's right. problems. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um and I don't know like I feel like I'm dancing around trying to say that the the right way because I you know I uh but I I'll, I'll say this. There are movies about black America in the way that white America has related to them sure that I often feel like I think uh dear white people I haven't seen the Netflix series I hear it's very good but dear white mm-hmm. people the movie um I didn't care much for it because I kind of felt like I want <laughs> as a white American I want to learn more about myself mm-hmm. and I feel like dear white people even though it was you know nominally addressed to me yeah it didn't teach me anything. I think it's still possible for a white person to walk away from dear white people and be like, well, I'm one of the good ones. Do you yes, know what I mean? Absolutely.
1: Like, like watching a uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and I feel like, um, in two very different ways, two very different types of movies, I am not your Negro and get out are movies mm-hmm. that, uh, really force you to think about like, what does your outlook as a white American, contribute what does it say no matter how yeah. like what you know what sort of special subcamp you want to put yourself in as a liberal yeah. or a woke person or whatever yeah like um, or an ally that's or an, an, ally. an ally yeah, yeah that's uh, always a tricky uh, beware of anyone who uh, self labels yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, themselves as an, uh, an ally um, uh, I, I, I found I Am Not Your Negro" to be an incredibly moving and thought provoking uh, experience yeah and also I, I can't like you know I can't stress enough you know sound is a part of movies and samuel jackson's narration is so perfect yeah. the way that he reads it is so it's very intimate like you can tell he's being yeah. he's speaking quietly but very close to the microphone yeah um that type of npr type of thing sure. um but it's
1: uh yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> i understand what you're saying david
0: it's incredibly effective um, I would definitely recommend to anyone checking out "I Am not Your Negro." And if I've said anything dumb just now, let me know in the comments. Let is, everyone know.
1: James Baldwin has a very specific kind of cadence. Is, is Samuel Jackson trying to mimic it, or no, is he just trying no, to do because his own There's thing?
0: also plenty of footage of James Baldwin okay. talking in the movie, so okay. um,
1: you you get very much of how okay. he how he talked. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Here's my first association with James Baldwin, and I'm not super thrilled with it. Uh, there was a uh, Saturday Night Live in the 90s uh, when there was a family feud, and uh, and one of them was the Baldwins. And so it was Alec, uh, William, Stephen, and Danny. Dan- yes, Dan- yeah, Daniel Baldwin. And uh, because they needed another one, uh, famous author James Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Tim me- Tim Meadows <laughs> playing him, just wondering what, what he is doing there. So that is my first association with that's, James Baldwin. That's pretty funny. I kind of want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, what's next for you? Okay, next for me, David. Okay. I was talking about aliens earlier. But you and I were four when that came out. So... Even though uh, we still grew up on it, uh, but there's another movie that came out a few years later, uh-huh. and people our age fucking love it. And I have never—I've tried like five times. Okay, this to like this movie. Did you see it as a kid? I first saw it as a kid. Okay, it's a kids' movie. It is not. Oh. Maybe not kid. Maybe I was, uh, nah, I guess I was probably about 10 or 11. So I, I'll, I'll say that's kid. I saw it, did not care for it. Saw it, I see it every, let's say four or five years. I have given this movie every chance and I do not but care for it. it's not a kid's it. movie. It is not a kid's movie. Is it the Shawshank Redemption? It isn't. I see the value of that. Okay. But you're on the right track. Um, is it Forrest Gump? No, no that's, I that's, see the value of that, but yeah, it's it's a movie. Is it for- Cocoon? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're right. you're getting further from the track. <laughs> okay, what is the movie? Tombstone. Oh, okay. I Tombstone is a bad movie with good performances. Like I haven't seen it in a billion years. I don't get it. I don't understand. Like. I've seen uh, I I don't I I think okay so
0: I'll say this when you say the word Tombstone as a movie uh I think um well Velkin was great that movie Yep That's the first thing I think Yep Do you know how the town of Tombstone got its name I just recently learned this No That when the town's founder I forget his name
1: Henry Tombstone
0: <laughs> no he set out into the west to find rare minerals you know hopefully something like gold or silver. Sure. He found silver tombstone was a silver town, but when he set out to find minerals, his friend told him the only stone you or the only rock you'll find out there will be your tombstone. And so when he found silver and started a town there in tribute, or as a fuck, you may be to his friend, I'd say the, the latter. Yeah. He, he named the
1: town tombstone. That's kind of awesome. That's a great, that's a, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, I wish the movie that, uh, that was its namesake was, was better. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, there are uh, there are people that I know on Facebook, uh, and I'm part of groups on Facebook, and Tombstone gets thrown out as like a, a a movie that some people say is their favorite. And by the way, the first thing they usually say is Val Kilmer's great in it, <laughs> um, and it, I and then I I looked up some. Uh, some clips on youtube i watched the movie but i was but i was kind of curious to see like okay so what clips have they put on youtube unsurprisingly they're val kilmer clips yeah and in the and in the comments people are like best western ever period it's like have you ever seen any western <laughs> besides tombstone maybe you saw wyatt earp and decided you know what i like yeah. val kilmer more than dennis quaid although dennis quaid is quite good and and wyatt Earp, but um it just i don't I don't... But he's not the only one that's that's good in it. It's a good cast all around. Kurt Russell is great. Sam Elliott, of course, is great. Uh, Alf, the aforementioned uh, Bill Paxton, but also Powers Booth, Michael Bean, um, Dana Delaney. It's a good cast all around, um, but and there were, I'll say that there were some troubles with production. The screenwriter who also, I believe wrote glory was going to direct for a while. And then the studio took the film away from him and give it, gave it to a different director who shot most of it. Like okay. there's a handful of scenes. So it's like, okay, so there's a bit of turbulence there, but I just, I, my review here is that I don't understand what people are talking about. It is a, it is functional at best. Uh, I find no real emotional resonance with it at all. Uh, you know, there are moments when uh, a big element of any, if you see anything that has to do with Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, a big element will be that these two guys are very close friends um, and that friendship is enough for them to defend each other. And that plays a big role in uh, in Tombstone where, you know, Val Kilmer says, you know, wired up as my friend. And then someone says, well, hell, I got lots of friends. And he's like, well, I don't. Hmm. And it's just like, okay, it's a nice moment. Val Val Kilmer does that. But at the same time, I don't see a lot of that. And I don't, I I see plenty of it, but it just, it it doesn't resonate that much. The film doesn't seem to be about that. I can't quite figure out what the film is about. It's just this just a bunch of stuff that happens, and Val <laughs> Kilmer's good. Uh, right. It's... Listeners, I, I'm sure I've pissed some of you off. Probably people of a certain age. It's always people about my age that love okay. it. Uh, well, and no it, thank you. If you're pissed off, put it in the comments. Yes, or if you agree with me. I prefer that.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, I have a rewatch. I rarely even talk about rewatches on okay. the
1: movie journal, but this is a movie... Oh, without I, rewatches, I've got like almost nothing <laughs> on my list.
0: Um, this is a movie that... It, you had seen, you told me about back when we were in college together. I only saw it for the first time a year ago. Okay. And I didn't like it, but I didn't like it very much. But I found myself thinking about this movie a lot.
1: Okay. It's John Huston's Beat the Devil. Okay. Um, well, I don't care for the movie either. It's not it, like I recommended it to you or anything. I think you did. I could have sworn you did. In college? Yeah. I think, that's the thing, as I saw it then and yeah. didn't really get what the fuss was about then it's not, but I still owned it. I'll say that. Yeah. I maybe
0: know. that's what you, uh, maybe you just told me the fact that you bought it, uh, made me think no. you were recommending it. Um, another reason it like, uh, so I ended up, I ended up throwing it like, sort of like you do when you work, I threw it on yeah. while I was doing some other stuff online or whatever, because it's on, uh, it was on prime. I'm a member. Um, <laughs> Oh, I like for, this. Uh, um, <laughs> and also the other reason I kind of was curious to watch it is the only having seen it, I saw it a year ago at the real thing, which I'm not going to the real thing this year. So that's an episode we can't do um, because of my brother's, uh, my brother's wedding. I'm missing uh, the, the real thing, which for those who don't know is a, uh, nearly sort of symposium, uh, put on by the association of moving image archivists here in, uh, in Hollywood. Um, uh, and they, it's a bunch of lectures and presentations. And then at the end of each night, they show a new restoration. Mm -hmm. And so last year, they showed the new restoration of beat the devil, which is a beautiful yeah. to look at. And B is like the original European cut. Right. So this, I was like, Oh, I'll watch the old cut. Um,
1: which is probably, well, I'm sure what you saw. Uh, I what I you saw, had, and then the, the, the one I saw recently was probably the European cut. Uh, where'd you see it? Uh, uh, uh was it film detective put it out? Oh or yeah. Maybe the, that uh, probably is it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, And so I'll watch the original. one. what I also didn't realize is that whatever's on Amazon Prime is, it looks like shit. It's Mm. a terrible, terrible uh, transfer. It's full of, uh, I mean, it's it's muddy as hell. It's full of uh, artifacts. It's not good to look at. Um, The differences between the two are minuscule, almost. Um, The main one is that there's a scene between... um, I'm forgetting who's the British actor. Not Jennifer Jones, the, but the man, her husband, who was Harry Harry oh. Chome. I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, yeah, I don't remember either. Um, but there's a scene when he's in bed and Gina Lollobrigida Brigida is sort of like tending to him that, I learned this at The Real Thing last year, It's it's cut short in the original, or not the original, in the cut, the American cut mm-hmm. that we've seen, because they needed, they wanted to cut before she leans over him because of her cleavage was right. just too much uh, for people. So that that scene gets cut short. That's like the biggest change. Oh. Um, and there's a couple of things, uh, here and there, but, um, uh, so yeah, I watched it again, putting up with this, uh, uh, the slightly hacked up version in a very bad transfer and realized, okay, I still don't think it's a very good movie, yeah. but it's, super watchable because it's very funny yeah there's something there the more i watch i think the more like the more i sort of adjust my expectations sure uh the more i realize well this is just a fun like 95 minutes none of this means anything there's no real consequence to anything that happens um the the story you know either it goes from crawling along and nothing happening to suddenly lurching forward uh, yeah. um, by leaps and bounds uh, one scene to the next it, but it doesn't matter. It's a fun time and everyone it's, it's a bunch of character actors. It's almost like I just realized this is the thought I just had. It's almost like a movie that has a bunch of character actors and no lead. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> and that's maybe so that it, like, it, it doesn't cohere because it doesn't have uh, something for the, the multi-rally around. There's no straight man in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it is... The, certainly there are worse ways to spend 90 minutes no. than with this
1: bunch of goofballs acting goofy. Yeah, it feels like... What is the name of that playwright? David Ives? Uh-huh. Feels like something here, <laughs> right? Just a bunch of supporting characters with no lead. Uh, well, I think at the time what I said last year is it felt kind of like one of the
0: less good David O. Russell movies. Sure. In the sense that I f- it feel like John Houston just he took whatever take seemed the most fun sure out of each yeah. you know uh, uh out of each setup and used that not really caring how they all fit together as a piece or as a whole i could see that, uh, that that's that was kind of my impression at first and i think i still stick with that but uh it's a real easy throw on movie i wish i wish you know I, I the film detective blu-ray i would like to to yeah. to throw on so because it because it looks super nice um I tell you, I met the film detective, uh, the, like the guy who runs the film detective. No, oh, I met him. I Las didn't Vegas. know it came down to one guy. It pretty much is just one guy. Um, uh, I didn't know I was sitting across from, I was in Las Vegas for a work thing in April for the national association of broadcasters. And I was at a dinner with a bunch of like people in my industry and I was talking to a guy and he would, he was talking about a movie and I was like, Oh, the film detective just put that out. And he was like, yeah, that's me. I'm the <laughs> film detective. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's a really nice guy, you know, talking to him all night about movies. Hmm,
1: that's cool. Um, we didn't have him in the show, but he lives in New Jersey, I think. Oh, <laughs> whatever. Move out here. This is where, you know, this is where things are happening. Uh, okay. So next up for me is, uh, first time I've seen this, it is Vincent Minnelli's an American in Paris. I've never seen it. Uh, Best Picture 1951, I think. Um, and that is why I was watching it, because uh, it's time to, over more than one lesson, time to get back into our Best of Pictures uh, series. series. Yeah. Um, I came across three in a row that I was like, oh, I haven't seen any of these. <laughs> so I just kept putting it off and putting off, and then I, I, I'm kind of hammering those out now. But, uh, so yeah, In American in Paris, uh, it's... It's interesting. Uh, shortly after I watched it, I looked at uh, Ebert's review, and and it's interesting because he had a lot of the same thoughts that I did, and probably a lot of the same thoughts that a lot of people have now when they look back on it. Which is, much of it does seem like a precursor to Singing in the Rain. Um, mm-hmm. In many ways, it's uh, slightly less interesting. Singing in the Rain. Um, it's got a lot of Gershwin in there, which is fun, um, and it still has Gene Kelly, uh, bringing his his unique screen presence, which is an odd mix of cynicism and joy. Uh, but the story is fairly conventional. It's just you know this painter in Paris, and he gets swept up into a love triangle and all of that. Uh, probably the most notable element element to it is this eighteen minute long mostly silent ballet sequence at the end that is, uh, now that I watch that, uh, the ending of La La Land makes a lot more sense to me, Mm. uh, which is because the, the ballet sequence, it's towards the end of the film and it essentially recaps an entire relationship. Uh, whereas like La La Land, it's all about what the relationship could have been or Mm -hmm. could, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, uh and i'll say this as you know i'm not a big fan of the extended belly sequence and singing in the rain but this time but this one i actually do like because it is a bit more purposeful it fits into the story a little bit more and uh from an art direction standpoint uh the sets that they construct um are it, there's just more going on and it's more interesting i think and and busier and you know when because i knew that sequence was kind of like 18 minutes damn that's a long time uh but it flew by and i was and i was paying attention and i was like really paying attention and i thought it was it, it held my attention is what i mean to say and uh it's a film that i that i thought was was good i didn't absolutely love it but uh but yeah it's definitely seems indicative of of musicals uh, of the time mm-hmm. and i i knew it was the 50s i don't think i knew that it was 1951 uh you know and it's in brilliant color and 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 it is shot in paris and sure enough it looks quite good uh because paris is a very cinematic city but um but yeah i'm happy i saw it but uh i'm i'm interested to talk about it as a best picture and see what deserved to win more which i'm sure there is something um, is that your last movie? No, I have one more.
0: Okay, then I, I have one more, okay. and then we'll finish with you, and then you have some TV I think to talk about. Yeah, which I'll chime in on. Uh, last thing I watched is a, a new movie coming out soon that I really wanted to like. It's called Lemon, directed by Janiska Bravo. I'm not sure if okay. that's how you say her name, um, and stars uh, Brett Gelman. The two wrote it together, right? Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't care much for it. Um, there's a. It's it's an incredible cast. I should almost like bring it up because there's so many great people in the movie that I'm going to forget, uh, somebody, but it's, um, like I said, Brett Gelman, uh, Judy Greer is in it. Uh, Michael Sarah, Gillian Jacobs, Jeff Garland, Shiri Appleby, Megan Mullally, Nia Long, John Daly, Rhea Perlman, our friend, Fred Melamed is in it. Mm-hmm. Martin Starr, is in it? Uh, David Paymer is in it? Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's most of the, uh, oh, no. Marla Gibbs is it. I just forgot that Marla oh Gibbs wow. was in the movie. Um, it's an incredible cast. Wait, Marla Gibbs from like
1: room 227? Just 227. Oh, just 227. Yeah. Pardon
0: me. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, basically, uh, Brett Gelman just plays a uh, sort of a guy who was, I guess he was a stage actor in New York. He moved to Los Angeles to try and be an actor. It's not going well. He's mostly booking commercials and he teaches an acting class that Michael okay. Sarah and Gillian Jacobs are in. And his girlfriend is played by Judy Greer. Their relationship's not going well. Um, uh, and it's a, it's very episodic. Um, and m- at any given moment, it, it can be really good. It's very deadpan, which is not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I generally like that kind of stuff, um, and it's well well framed. Uh, it, Sherry Appleby is terrific as as um, Brett uh, uh sister. Uh, David Paymer is also fantastic. There's a, an extended sequence at a uh, Passover seder, mm. um, so it's all it's his his parents are Fred Melman and Rhea Perlman, his brother is Martin Starr, his sister is Sherry Um and then David Paymer plays a friend of the family who's recently divorced and doesn't doesn't have anywhere else to go, so he's no. have, he's joining their seder, and he's also amazing, of
1: course,
0: uh, it, it, in the movie, but just I think where it really started to lose me is that as, so his relationship spoilers, Judy Greer leaves him and then he starts dating the makeup woman on one of the commercials that he's, that he was booked on. Uh, and she's played by Nia Long and so much of the comedy, especially in the second half of the movie comes from hi- him being clueless around black people that I think is, it's a type of comedy that I think a has been done to death, yeah. you know, but also like, I feel like I, I guess given just the tenor of things in the country right now, it's yeah. like, I'm not as willing to laugh about, sure. You know, a white guy being clueless about, no. <laughs> uh, 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 about black Americans. Um, it, 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 kinda, it kind of, it kind of turned me off. Um, uh, and in, in general, I think, you know, the, there's something about the movie that I respect, but I doesn't mean I enjoy, which is the idea that it's about a guy who's having a very bad time in life, mm-hmm. but in a way that is kind of mediocre and common. Yeah. Okay. And so there are occasionally hints around the edges of like, uh, like Sherry Appleby, his sister has, uh, a, uh, a, a adopted a, a son, um, from, uh, from Africa, whose like parents were murdered or okay. whatever, and so there's there 's hints of like there 's real bad shit going on yeah. in the world, and this guy 's like you know debilitating rage at his inability to book a job or his relationship falling apart yeah is is nothing and i I like that as an idea, but i don 't think the movie does a good job of exploring it and also doesn 't make the exploration of it any fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, luckily it's only 83 minutes. Well, that's something. Uh, Michael Sarah is also great as a, just a complete blowhard who can't, he can't tell any story. Or he can't even hear a story without responding to a story about a time that he was traveling overseas. <laughs> like that's his entire identity is that he's well-traveled and that's the only like currency that he has. So he'll just say like two summers ago
1: when I was in Japan, like, that's funny <laughs> it is pretty funny who would have thought that his comedic persona could lend itself to ego so well yeah uh but he it happens a fair amount um by the way it occurs to me that i had conflated 227 with room 237 which means <laughs> i would love a documentary about people yeah
0: um
1: so okay, I saw another one of these uh This best is your pictures. last movie? This is my last movie. Okay. L- another one of these best pictures that I feel like you saw recently, which is Fred Zinneman's From Here to Eternity. No, not
0: okay. uh, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. But, I saw uh, that um and we talked about it recently, uh some I mean uh, on one of our five hundred episodes we talked about it with uh Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap. Okay. Um but I saw that actually when we lived in Chicago, uh our first place together, I think it was our first place. Uh, I saw it at the music box theater when they used to do, I'm sure they still do their weekend matinees. They do like old movies right. at like 11am on Sunday or yeah. whatever. Um, I kept whatever. wanting to go, but I saw some cool stuff. Too I saw that. I saw the great escape, which is not a great movie, but it's a fun movie to see on a big screen. Uh, I saw the bitter tea of general yen, right? Uh, an early, uh, Capra movie
1: that I think is, uh, uh, out on Blu-ray right now? Yeah, uh, I remember when you described it to me, I was like, that sounds really good. Well, back to sleep for me. <laughs> um, yeah, From Here to Eternity is uh, really great in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's such a fast. Oh, I mean, you've, you've seen it. It's mm-hmm. such a fascinating story in that it's not really about anything specific. It's about a lot of just characters and their interactions. It feels... One could say it feels a little bit... Soap operatic, Mm -hmm. Um, but every the character is so well drawn and well acted and well written that I don't mind. I don't mind spending time with these people, uh, you know, on this army base in Hawaii the days before Pearl Harbor, Um, like directly before Pearl Harbor in many cases. And so, um, and it was just I I have a couple issues with it here and there, but. it's just, it just moves quickly and it's very efficient and we get to know these characters as much as we, as much as we need to. And like I said, they're just, they're very well-defined. I think that's a function, that's definitely a function of the writing with the acting. And you know, because on paper Montgomery Cliff's character, I think would be the type of character I don't really like where he seems pretty perfect he's kind of good at everything. Like mm-hmm. he's such a good boxer that he accidentally blinded a guy. And then he decided he wants to play a bugle and he's always the best bugler and all that. Um, and then he's unbreakable, uh, in a cool hand Luke sort of way where the, mm. the, the captain is trying to break him so that he'll join the boxing team. Uh, and he just keeps going. Ernest Borgnine? No, that's the that's the guy who runs the stockade. He winds oh, okay. up getting in a conflict with uh, yeah. Frank Sinatra. Oh,
0: okay. But
1: um, and the, Montgomery Cliff's character is like he just grins and bears it, and he still loves the army despite all this crap that it's putting him through. It's like there's such a nobility and such a perfection to his character that n- that on paper I wouldn't like, but Montgomery Cliff is such an interesting actor. And such a, and it's such a lived-in performance that uh, he feels real to me. He Doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a movie character, and all that just all that stuff that I just said is very movie character ask. Yeah. Um, and then Burt Lancaster as this guy who's like this very tough sergeant, but secretly doesn't really like his superiors. Is way more on board with the people that he's yelling at, um, and. Uh, Donna Reed, who, of course, I associate with the Donna Reed show Uh (laughs) as this, you know, essentially a prostitute. Um, And just uh, it's amazing how much her having dark hair. I didn't even realize it was her immediately. Um, And it's it's really just a pleasure. Here's one thing I will say, though. Not 100 percent sure about uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, it's a good performance but I do kind of wonder if it's a situation where cause Frank Sinatra and this is 1952, I think, no, this is 53. So it's like, he is a name. He is Frank Sinatra at this point. And it almost feels like, Hey, Frank wants to act in a movie where he could maybe get an Oscar. And but it just, fe- this, it felt almost like a,
0: isn't this movie where the studio didn't want to hire him? And this is the story about the, the, um, the, oh, the, mom? The, the Godfather thing. the mom, Yeah. Um, that sounds right to me because I think as
1: an actor, I don't think, I think he had, uh, yeah. had some failures before this. Well, and I'll say this, that like, if that's the case, I, I get, his performance is fine. And, and at times it is very effective. But when I look at what that character is, like any number of actors probably could have done it better. Any number of solid, reliable character actors. And he does a fine enough job and he gets his Oscar probably because somebody put a gun to somebody else's head. But, mm-hmm. um, But it does feel a little... It feels vain to me. And I don't know if that's right. Uh, I don't know if it's just literally like, you know... uh, I mean, I guess you can't really see a movie in a vacuum. Um, But like, if I were to watch the movie not knowing who Frank Sinatra was... Would I just think? Would I? Would I not give? Would I not give that character and performance a second glance? But of course, I do know. I do know who Frank Sinatra is, as everybody does <laughs> and did at the time. And so I feel like I found myself paying special attention to him and finding and knowing that he won Best Supporting Actor for it, and feeling like the performance is perfectly fine. But someone else probably could have done a better job. So everything about it just felt particularly unnecessary in a in a film where so much where it's so economical uh and just like i said keeps moving forward and and so many of the actors are doing such great work that he stands out a little bit even though again his performance is is fine and convincing but to me nothing nothing very special but i still really liked the movie and really responded to it so, okay. All right. That's it for movies. Yeah. TV. Let's, let's get through some TV. TV. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. I'll rush through some of these. So, uh, I watched Castlevania. Uh, there's only four episodes on yeah. Netflix. That's the first season is four episodes. And, uh, boy, did I not expect that? Cause episode four ends with a real, like, here we go. Oh, wait, hang on. You're going to have to wait until next year, I guess. <laughs> um, but I did a more than one lesson episode about it. So if anybody wants to hear what I have to say, you can go and listen to that. Um, okay. I have been watching wrecked on TBS. I don't yeah. know why. Did
0: you visit their comic con offsite?
1: Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't know they had well, one. Well,
0: apparently it was like all the off-sites uh, uh, this year. It was a long wait to get in, but they had like a... Behind the convention center, they had like a floating
1: bar. Oh, okay. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah. It's... You know, it's so interesting because it's, it's kind of a parody of... Lo- uh, sort of a parody of Lost, but yeah. other island things. There's some castaway in there. and uh, What I will say, though, is that... <laughs> You remember that movie Walk Hard with uh, mm-hmm. John C. Riley? saw it, p- hard, but yeah. So it's a par- that's a parody of you know Walk the Line and Ray and just kind of the musical biopic. But here's the thing: Walk Hard about halfway through stops being funny because the story has such inherent power that even if you're trying to parody it, you kind of fall into it. Mm-hmm. Same with Wrecked; it is funny there is the the there are certain characters that i think are genuinely hilarious um it's i'm not going to say it's a great it's like the best comedy out there or anything like that but it's but what's interesting is when you see the rhythms of lost Uh starting to come in like the idea of well, we can be someone new here. We don't have to live the way we did before. I, don't, I can reinvent myself, or maybe in the process find myself. So there's all of that, and it's very real. They're not playing that for comedy; like there are actual character arcs happening oh, in this cool. parody, and it's really, that it's sounds, really odd. That sounds good. Actually. I think you would. I think you would enjoy it as somebody that enjoys Lost. I yeah. think you would like it. Um, and then, lastly, I watched in its entirety. I watched Glow. It's very easy to watch in its entirety. Very much so. Yeah. Which I loved. I, it's such a great, that is such a wonderful ensemble. Yeah. And it's interesting because I wonder if you, I feel like you might've mentioned it, but if not, uh, I feel like somebody mentioned it, but um, you and I did theater. (laughs)
0: Uh huh.
1: It feels like that. Doesn't it? Feel, it feels very backstage. I oh. mean, it, it is, but it feels just Can I tell the, you the, the, the way they interact. was so I, familiar. I watched it with my wife who was not a theater person. Okay.
0: And there's a, there's a part in the, um, it's not in the fight. It's the, 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 the test run episode. The first thing they do in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. And, uh, Mark Marin tells them like people are outside, blah, blah, blah. And Alice Reed is like, is that places? And Mark Maron is like, Fine, yeah. Whatever places, (laughs) and she and Betty Gilpin go. Thank you, places. (laughs) I laughed so hard, and Natalie had no reaction whatsoever to that. (laughs) that. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, It's. I like that, and I like how much time it spends with these other characters. There are, I would say, there are three actual leads, but, um, but it spends so much time with everybody else. Ruth, Debbie, and I would say Mark Maron's character. Yeah. Um, whose name I have forgotten. Sam. Sam. Um, but it spends so much time with the others that it really, that the leads are sort of absorbed into the ensemble. Um, yeah. So that it, so it is their story, but it is also everyone's story. Um, I have been a big fan of Alison Brie for a long time. Uh, community, Mad Men, and just, she's an actress that I think has really great comedic chops, and... Okay, I will say this because it does have bearing on the show. She is an actress that I've found very attractive for uh-huh. a long time, uh, and it look and she has done a very good job. Or the makeup department did a very good job of like making her particularly thin oh, okay. and not great. Like she, like I think of Alison Brie as like as very beautiful both in Community and yes, very much so in Mad Men. Um, but I feel like. She looks looks a little bit haggard. It took me a moment. I didn't even recognize her immediately. Oh, really? Um, I had to hear her voice. Huh. Um, and you don't hear her voice right away. Uh, you don't? I don't think so. I think you see it's her. For, it starts with the audition, right? I think. I think you see like. Oh, okay. Her looking straight ahead. When I say right away, I mean like I think it it's seems a like few seconds. A few seconds, okay. And I was just like, <clears throat> I thought like, oh, who is that? Holy shit! Uh, and it was very. Huh. That was. But I feel like. I think this is the best performance I've ever seen her give. Like she really finds stuff in this character that makes her incredibly annoying, incredibly endearing. Yeah. Uh, and the way she carries herself reminds me a little bit of Shelley Long in cheers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you see any of that? Absolutely. Um, and I thought that, and with a lot of the same dynamics of other people being like, okay, this is uh, growing tiresome. Yeah.
0: Um, Oh, when she is trying out her Russian character and she goes to the actual like Russian family gathering, yeah, essentially to learn from them, but then keeps doing the like (laughs) Boris and Natasha, like fake accent. It's insulting, but also you can't help but like, yeah, like you said, endearing.
1: Yeah she wins you over, not unlike she wins over Mark Maron's character eventually. Um, and he boy, yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel bad saying this in a show that is so predominantly women. Right. But boy, he's, I didn't, I've seen a couple episodes of Marin early episodes Uh is perform where his performance is not even that great here. Like I think he sees something in this character that is, that he can relate to. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. It is a, and they do th- uh, they do a thing where there's a good portion of the time, especially early on where he's saying things. But it's it's like, I can't I don't know if he's saying things to anyone or he is or his inner monologue <laughs> is so angry or so exhausted that it's just coming out. Uh, um, it's I love one, it.
0: One of my favorite uh, Mark Barron lines is when he's after he and uh, what's his name? The, the guy with the money. Bash, uh, Bash,
1: short, short uh, for Sebastian. Yeah.
0: Um, after they've come back from their like bender or whatever, yeah. and they have the idea of moving everyone into a motel, she's in there. He's like, everyone has to move into the motel except for Debbie because she's the star and she has a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, you know, it's this is a, a thing I find myself saying a lot is that, um, the great characters and the great performances are such that. I cannot imagine anybody else doing them. And this type of character could be played by any number of actors. But now that I've seen Mark Maron, I cannot picture anyone else playing him. Yeah. It is a great performance and it's a um, great show.
0: And I also like that. It doesn't have any easy heroes and villains. Yeah. Like the way that bash is introduced, you're like, Oh, this guy's going to be, he's going to throw wrench into the works. Yeah. But then he ends up being in some ways, very, sweet. And then the fact that he's very childlike, Yeah, but in other ways he can also be very like cluelessly like cruel, like without yeah. realizing it, you know? Um, but one of my favorite moments is when Mark Merritt has cast, uh, Machu Picchu as right. the, as the villain and, uh, bash like takes one look at her and is like, no, you're a, you're a baby face or whatever. You're a, a hero or yeah. whatever. Like that's like, an, it's an incredibly sweet moment. That yeah. He just sees, the goodness in her, uh, well,
1: cause so he believes in what he's doing. He yeah. believes like he loves wrestling and this is a, like, yeah, the minute you see him walk in, it's just like, he's this corporate guy. Like this is not a corporate guy, but he has that mentality or what maybe a want to be corporate guy. Yeah. he's probably pretty sleazy, obviously super coked up. <laughs> and, and he, he's just using these girls like, But no, he really buys into like the power of wrestling and is really I I don't know if I would say that he wants to empower these girls, but he's not opposed to it either. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's he's a very he winds to being an oddly sweet character.
0: Um, I'm looking forward to a second season. Yeah. Uh, Who do you think is more likely to turn out to be to be gay? Uh, Bash or the guy who runs the motel, the Russian guy? Oh uh, but okay. Uh hmm. I mean I think there's a lot of especially towards the end there's a lot of stuff with Bash like with him like putting on makeup and stuff at the, right, uh, yes. for the for the show I think there's some hints there but yeah. I also feel like there's a lot of hints with the Russian motel guy. Yeah. And, and the way that he talks about a wife that you're a lady friend or whatever that you never see. Yeah.
1: Uh, you're always just not happy with what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And And that's another example. That character is basically like we first see him in one scene and all he's doing is just not doing what our characters want him to do. (laughs) And that's all he is. And then he's given more of that and more. And it's just like, okay, this is just a joke character. He's talking about this wife or girlfriend or whatever. And then, no, and then he's allowed to be for at least one episode a yeah. full-fledged character yeah and, and then there's another there's a like
0: as much as the show is about the women there's that scene between him and uh the pizza delivery guy yeah There's a great little scene uh from two like yeah. side the, yeah, the the show does not treat anyone any single character as just a uh an adornment or 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 a two-dimensional character.
1: Who is the what is the name of the of the woman that is a limo driver? Um I can't I can't think of it now. I feel like it's I feel like it's named after Oh, Melrose? Melrose, yeah. that's it. Um her character's fascinating to me because she seems to she s- seems to have so much swagger. She's so antagonistic but she still has a sense of community eventually, uh, but yeah. still isn't antagonistic and deeply insecure. Yeah. Like there's just so much going on. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, like I could talk about literally every single character.
0: Yeah. Uh, Do you know, um, the woman, uh, I can't remember if I, I, mean, I said this in a comic con wrap up episode, but the woman who plays, uh, Reggie, the Vicky Viking, the Olympian right, yes. is a filmmaker and she was on the bold voices of contemporary horror panel. At, at comic-con That's cool yeah it's uh very
1: on a palka i'm i'm ex- very excited for a season two yeah. um and just boy this show surprised me think of how many i mean we're talking about it with individual characters but think of the whole show think of how easy it would be to just have this be winking uh-huh. and ridiculous like the concept of glow is a little bit ridiculous. Wrestling <laughs> yeah. in general is ridiculous. So to take it seriously, but still be a comedy. Yeah. Is a huge achievement. It, I, it I is still very funny. Yeah. I, I, I laughed out loud every episode.
0: Um, but the biggest laugh is, to me is in the second. We didn't even talk about the two, um, hairdresser friends who were delight, right, delightful. Yes. Um, the second episode when, uh, debbie comes back and sam is giving talking about like you know his new star new focus she's a blonde whatever and the one hairdresser is like i think he's talking about me and the other one says i think he's talking about her and the first one goes oh that makes sense (laughs) Uh, all right Uh,